What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature the musician Adrian. I've known Adrian for a long time, and it was great catching up with him. We go over his history, how he makes everyone go through an extra step just to talk to him, deciding to join the Air Force in your 30s, and rediscovering the love of music. He's working on new music and a music video that will come out early 2021. I'll have all of his links in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. This new project that you're working on is a lot of, I don't want to say like electronic indie, but it, it has kind of that feel for it, right? Yeah, I am like fully out of touch on some of these genres that are out now. So like sad boy indie, emo indie, just sad music yeah. that also has like an uplifting message. I don't know. I don't know how that works. You got it right. I had to do a little bit of research to find out where I was sitting at. Yeah, I think it's now called a uh, lo-fi bedroom pop. Oh, okay. Then there's pop electronica, but it's not what maybe you and I know from 2010. Right. So that's a that's an interesting point, though, is that you had to research where you kind of fit into your space. Was it a conscious effort to say, I want to be in this genre? No, it was, what am I writing? Okay. We like to have freedoms in all ways, like uh, writing, and you don't want to be stamped with a genre, but obviously it was rock and roll, Yeah. but it's it's not your Metallica, <laughs> and it's not, your, not. it's not Nirvana. It's not Blink-182. And these are all different genres like right. metal, grunge, yeah. pop punk. So it's like post, 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 soft rock. <laughs> yeah, okay. But then you go on the internet and you search for um, some guys who are making playlists on Spotify. And they're like, no, your music doesn't fall into my category of this sub, sub, sub genre. And it's like, okay, can you, before you dismiss me for sure, what am I playing? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, you sound, you sound like a lo-fi surf rock. And it's like noted. And then I go to the next lo-fi surf rock playlist curator and they're like, no, no, you're more lo-fi bedroom pop. And then I go to a lo-fi bedroom pop curator and they're like, no, you're more just pop rock. And then I go to pop rock and they're like, you're more lo-fi rock. And I'm like, just doing the math. Like, okay, thank you. These are all your opinions. You know, these yeah. are all opinions and that's fine. I, I appreciate them. Where do I belong? <laughs> so are you guests just lo-fi rock right now? Like that's the only constant, right? Yeah. Again, these are just people who heard one song. Right. So they were trying to just put a, a big old stamp certification. This is who you are and what you are. And the moment I put out a music video, I sent it back to those people who denied me. Like, you know, like, hey, you don't fit on our playlist or yeah. we're not going to write about you. And all of a sudden they were like, hey, this this video really tells the story of who you are. And I'm like, you are all <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, this is going to be uh, scary because the next video and song sound nothing like the last song oh interesting yeah so it's like oh i'm a genre jumper and i love albums that sound like the same song from song one to song 10 love it i hate albums that jump all right. over the place but unfortunately i can't write the same song twice and i think it's one of my weaknesses but at the same time uh it goes well with my my fake add <laughs> it's always interesting because the the cohesive sound of an album versus doing ep and singles is a completely different like world almost because you depending on how you're approaching an album you're looking at telling a whole story like a complete story or you're just trying to find stuff that kind of matches together or maybe have some of the, 
the same kind of theme and messages overall, right? Yeah, yeah. With singles, you can be a little bit more creative and jump around a little bit. But that is like what you're saying, possibly to your detriment, especially with how everything is so niche right now. Podcasts are so specific. Music can be so specific, if I can speak. It's a hard word to say, I know. Right? But it's it's interesting. And it's also cool to to hear that you're writing what you want to write, but also understanding that now I need to find a place to where my audience can grow and find me, right? Yeah, like you said, singles are a good place to test the waters. Is this even worth my time to put out nine more like it? And then if someone does like it, it's like, oh goodness, I have to write nine <laughs> more like it. But yeah, I mean, my friends, they support me. They like my music to, the, to, you know, to a certain extent. And I ask them, you know, I throw yeah. it into the fire. Hey, what about this? And they're just like, the guitars sound good. Your voice is trash. The drums need to be real, you know, or they're a little nicer. I'm just, you know, like that feedback helps, but it's like, well, they don't know what I'm trying to do. And that's right, okay. Right. A random kid in Germany is just like, I love this song. I'm going to put it on my playlist. Do you mind if I share it on this? And, and I'm just, it's yours now. Just yeah. please. Yes. Don't ask. And we're getting a lot of good feed. I say we, because I, I involve my friends who make the videos and we're getting a lot of good feedback in Mexico and stuff. And it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm big <laughs> in Mexico. And it's, it's not even big, but it's just, uh, it's like, Oh, we're getting better numbers than any of my previous bands did just in Mexico alone. I'm trying to figure out the math. And I realized, like you said earlier, is it Crostrian or Extrian? And it's it's Adrian, but I didn't do the research too well, but Adrian with an X in the front is the Mexican way of spelling it. Oh. It's pronounced with a lisp, but like Adrian. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Uh, but the only reason I named the band Adrian with the X in the, the front was because um, throughout the years, people have called me by mistake on the phone. And I always thought it was funny to tell like strangers at me, like, how do you how do you spell your name? It's like X D R I N. So <laughs> if I'm getting a phone call for them, I know they mean right. it, you know, like they had, they had this go to the very almost bottom to call me by mistake. Uh, yeah. So I feel bad for the errands <laughs> of the world and the, the Abrahams. Yeah. I, I know where you're at. I know that's where you guys hilarious. are. At. I never would have yeah. thought about that. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with this new moniker or persona, as my mother would say is that if anyone's going to call me to book me for a show, they, they right. meant to find me. It's kind of a twofold where uh, they have to work for your love and vice versa because they have to scroll through <laughs> possibly everything to reach out to you. And then you yeah. have to appreciate that extra step, right? So that's that's good. Yeah. I like that. That that definitely means that they're dedicated yep. to, to find out who you are or what, what you offer at least, right? Yeah, yeah. Some curators like it sounds like a hip hop artist's name, and I'm just like, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> it has an X on the beginning. One of the things that popped out to me is just how simple the text is, because it's just crisp, clean, and easy to read. As far as I guess your logo, or lack of better word, I guess right. So it's it's cool because I know when I was designing the logo or trying to design the logo for my stuff, all I really wanted it is for it to be kind of easy to read, memorable, something that kind of pops out and just clear and concise. Yeah. There's no big mess. There's no jumble. There's no nothing, right? Yeah. But it's interesting because I kind of like what you're saying as far as you putting yourself out to all these different playlists and genres, each genre has also their own style, like Neo Wave or the like the 80s synth yeah. wave have their own little flair, just text and graphic wise too. Yeah. 
the death metal. Yeah, exactly. Death metal. The death right, metal right, right. scratch font. Love it. But it, <laughs> it, it stood out to me that this was more of an electronic thing or like a maybe independent electronic project just because of the text, if that makes sense. Mm, okay. I, back in 2016, I saw this documentary called Helvetica. Maybe, maybe someone else has saw this. I, I was like, oh, I'm not alone. It's, the, it's sadly the, one of the most best fonts. And when I was talking to the videographer, he's like, what font should we use? And I was like, um, Helvetica. And he was like, okay, good. <laughs> like, he agreed with me. And he's like, is it just funny that it's like sad that it's, it, it is the best font? And I was like, it's just a, a safe bet. It's most legible. Yeah. Like, I love your um, a- ambition. It's red and black, which is if you're into marketing, which unfortunately I am, mm. it's, it's the two most popular colors together. Next is yellow. And you'll notice that Verizon and Sprint right. use those. And then next is, is hot pink, which T-Mobile. Anyway, but yeah, when I see yours on Instagram, I was going through it. I just stop and I'm like, oh, I want, I want to listen. And, I and listen. that's the hope, right? That's yeah. the, the idea is somehow I stand out against the crowd, which is what you're talking about. So that marketing mindset that you have of, of how you want to approach this project is a very conscious effort, which I appreciate. I talked to Advocate. Um, his name is Jesus. He's a, an electronic musician. Okay. And he did the exact same thing that you did was submit his songs to so many playlists mm-hmm. or to get feedback or to find out where where he belongs. Yeah. Because he's making the music that he wants to make because he's grown up on all these different 80s sounds, but he has no idea where this music is in the world. So it's just an interesting thing because we, I feel like when you're making like an organic band, you don't necessarily think about that sometimes. Like you don't think about your own space. You're just like, oh, I want to play the music that I want to play and then hopefully people will like it. Yeah, I mean, rock and roll, it's like, oh, this will be, this will find a home. But I, I learned quick it didn't. <laughs> the snare sound I'm using was a certain genre and it's like, Oh, this is, that's so boring. Right. I get it though. Cause when I'm looking to listen to the strokes and then the algorithm plays another song that's similar to the strokes, I get so upset when it's not another <laughs> stroke song or someone who's just swagger jacking the strokes. Yeah, style. It's, it's like the, the vines popping up on the strokes. You're just like, this is close. The guitar is almost there, but yeah. this is not, this is not what I'm in the mood for. This is not it. Right. Yeah, Exactly. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy where, where the, the music is headed. I think the songs, once someone listens to at least three songs, they'll say, oh, you are this, or hey, you could play with these, these bands, you know, like the Wallows, or you could open up for Claro or something like that, where I don't sound like her or them, but I'm, I'm in that playlist category, finally. I have no plans of touring uh, for the next couple of years. I just was happy to get some music out and start writing again. and call some friends up and say, Hey, I have this project. I have this one song. I know you have these road keyboards. Uh, I know you're good at it. You probably haven't recorded in a while yourself. Would you be interested? And like, yeah, just, uh, I get off on Mondays. I have to watch my kid and then I work on these days, but I should have like 20 minutes to try something out. I'm like, yeah, take your time. There's no deadline. And you know, in a couple days or weeks they come back and I'm like, Hey, that was beautiful. That was amazing. Like really that worked. <laughs> yeah, let's it's going. I'm I'm sending it. It's become fun again because in the past, maybe you know with even your own project currently is is this a labor of love? Is this actually fun? Or should I do this because everyone knows I do this? And if I'm not doing it, I'm a failure. Right. And that that ladder, that'll just 
it's not that's not healthy yeah you've been playing music forever right yeah i've been playing music as long as musicians who are playing my style of music now are alive right which is scary to think but i can still beat them in a foot race so i'm feeling pretty good <laughs> no i wish i wish i would have known what i know now back then type old man saying sure. is like wow i, I should have uh, done this and taken my time and so I, I yeah i'm just enjoying myself and if i never play these songs on stage i won't be let down and i don't think i'll let anyone down it's fun to see plays on spotify and youtube comments come through and just kind of be like wow <laughs> oh okay yeah if i get a, a random review i'm just like who listens to this yeah who's is this my mom who, <laughs> right. who wrote this <laughs> Thank you for saying nice things, but I don't deserve them. So I appreciate that. When did you start playing music and what kind of sucked you into it? Oh, I'm, I'm your traditional uh, 1996, 97. I think I was, I'm not that great at math. I was like 14, 13, watching MTV mm -hmm. on uh, cable television. We were lucky enough to have that. And uh, I saw Stone Temple Pilots, Kurt Cobain, you know, the stereotypical rock and rollers. I got to watch Tupac on TV become like an idol in a sense. And then I got to watch him die. Not for real, but yeah. it was one of those things where you see the rise and fall of the musicians. And you thought that only happened to those seventies artists like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. Right. And it was, you know, it was like, wow. And my mom played me a lot of Prince and oddly George Michael, Tina Turner. So I had a lot of pop influences from my mom, a lot of seventies and sixties influences from my friends around high school time, I was shown MXPX and a lot of that Descendants and uh, Fat Music for Fat People, Lagwagon. Yeah. And that's really, I think, like seventh grade, I started to just break guitar strings. <laughs> I would watch music videos. Yeah. And, and when anyone in the music video who'd be playing guitar, I'd watch the shape of their hand. And then I'd try to mimic it on my brother's guitar. Uh, and a sidetrack here, my brother did not allow me to play his guitar. So I had to wait till my brother left the house. <laughs> like when he would go to his friend's house or girlfriend's house and I'd sneak into his room and I'd break his guitar string. Oh, and no. He'd know. Well, you know, I slowly learned. It probably took me like three years to like actually have my mom like, what was that? And like, oh, that's me playing the C chord. <laughs> She's like, oh, wow. My brother was pretty good in the beginning. And uh, I'm not tooting my own horn, but uh, no. Damien, my brother, and Chris Aponte. Showed me music when I was probably in seventh grade and I never stopped. I joined a band in 10th grade with some, some best friends that I'm still in a group message today. We talk That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I talked to other people. I'm like, yeah, you know, your friends from kindergarten. They're like, no, I don't, I don't know those people. Sure don't. I'm like <laughs> they really showed me the way they were all smart and they were all better musicians than I was. <laughs> and I would watch them and, and learn from them. Um, but I was really good with computers and socializing. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think that's why they kept me around. There was mp3.com, and this is where you uploaded your music. Yeah. There were no hashtags, but you could put in the search engine, Pop Punk Ohio, right. the top 20 bands would come up, and you could message them and say, hey, I'm looking for a show. And then you could share mp3s. And that's where we end up getting shows with bands like Brand New and Yellow Card. That is insane. <laughs> What's really cool is they were just in vans, you know, mm -hmm. and play VFWs and we'll trade a show with you. And they blew up and we stayed stagnant. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not mad at that. I think they needed to blow up. They were really, really good. Obviously, yeah. We were able to share a stage with them. And that was that taught me a lot up until this moment. That's crazy because if if you look at it like you you forget that like almost all of your bigger bands have been local bands. 
yeah. have been like perusing for just different communities to join or to like yeah. be able to come back to after traveling and, and like feel safe because that's that's such a hard thing to do too. So that's incredible. Like what you said, now you could kind of talk about those experiences and that helps shape what you're doing now. So with the, the first iterations of your bands, I assume those are all your pop punk stuff. That's all, all that we're doing for there because that was yeah. Life is Here? Uh, no, you don't even know. There's a, my first band, the final form of it, the best form, let's say the most the most mom and dad friendly sound was Landis. Okay. We ended up being a four-piece pop punk band. We worked with a, a producer in Maryland, Silver Spring. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, he did all the all-time low stuff while they were still also a smaller band. Right. Okay. His name was Paul Levitt. Yep. He cut us a really cool three-song demo. We got inter- we got a meeting with Drive Through Records, and that it, it never turned into anything, sure. but it opened up a lot of doors for us. Prior to that, we were the same form and different band members with another singer, um, Mario Romero, who now works at NASA. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that is cool. And we did all these different shapes and tried things, and we finally came to a final form. And the original band name was Six Times Nine Equals Seventy Two. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't add up. <laughs> and then we changed it to like three, uh, can I say vulgar things here? Yeah, have at it. Enjoy okay. yourself. All right. If any kids are listening, go ahead and just skip five seconds ahead. I'll give you a second. <laughs> three pubes in a frying pan. That's what? <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, we were 14. Leave us alone. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were like, well, that's not really working. Then we changed it to Owen can't fly. And if you're a fan of WWE wrestling, Owen Hart, passed away by um, falling from the sky. And we were like, that's terrible. That is right. just terrible. We changed our name to the hand-me-downs. And then we had an album artwork that I made on, on MS Paint of white underwear briefs. And it had a little like yellow stain at the bottom. And we sold out of that record as like three 15-year-old kids to all our friends. That's insane. Yeah, it had some bangers on it. One song is called uh, Velcro the Velcronian. You can Google all this stuff. Maybe not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I'm just glad that uh, that poop and pee and uh, and underwear and fart jokes still still reign supreme. They have never been yeah. defeated in all of the history of man. Yeah, we were highly influenced by Cheshire Cat and Dude Ranch of, right. of Blink One Eight Two. So then uh, we changed our band name to Safe Haven. We thought we were more mature. Now we were in tenth grade, and that's where Mario became the singer. And we had some really cool hits there too. And then uh, Mario was like on the track team and swimming because uh, he was training to become a Navy SEAL, which he did end up being. So us kicking him out of the band helped blossom his whole career. And we as a band, we take credit for his whole <laughs> being NASA now. But uh, then we changed to Landis and that's when we start to really kick some butt and do some cool stuff. You know, we were like, hey, we don't need to go to college. I think we have it all figured out. So is Mario the closest thing that we have to a space marine? Well, he would be Navy. He's he's ex Navy yeah, SEAL. Yeah, but that's closest. Closest. So he would be a, a space SEAL, which doesn't sound as cool. Oh well, you should do some research. I, I don't mean to be rude, <laughs> but there's there's other SEALs who are at the International Space Station as we speak. Mm. November 29th, twenty twenty. Yeah, it's not uncommon to to make um, SEALs astronauts. That's crazy. That's fantastic. Yeah, I just. Yeah, it's uh, a cl- I yeah. just wanted the actual space marine, uh, mm-hmm. and he's got to have like a 
what was it? A big chainsaw shotgun or some shit. I don't know. I don't know the game. I I forgot. And I just derailed everything. So that was fine. No, it's fine. That's uh, fine. <laughs> okay, so that's cool. And it's it's nice seeing those little moments where, okay, this is we actually have to do this because of life happening. Yeah. Because we we're we're going on different paths. Like we're we're close now, but this is not where we're gonna end up. Yeah. And sometimes that's not a a fun time to make that split and other times it's easily understandable right yeah at this moment i don't believe it was easily understandable i think there was a little animosity between some of the other bandmates but i'm good with socializing and um i'm pretty blunt but at the same time i'm not mean i don't think i'll let someone else answer that question <laughs> and you know a band meeting happened and, uh, and they're like you have to tell him and it's just like okay hey mario um so we don't think you should be in the band, I guess. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. And, you know, band became busy and he became busy. And before we know, I was like, I haven't seen Mario in like a year and a half. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're all really tight these days. He actually lives in Houston and I live a couple hours west of him. So right. when there is no pandemic, we, we hang out when we can. That's fantastic. You got you to gotta love when, when things come back like together because that, that's what I like. And even you and me talking like we we've known each other for forever but it's been a minute since we've actually talked yeah. talked so it's always yeah. cool to have stuff like that um where we're we're looking at it to where you know little moments and little connections can like actually have a, a long lasting impact which is great i love it yeah i love when i see someone especially random on street i literally was walking down new york city street one time when i was i think 27 and it was just like oh my yeah Hey, and then before I know, it, we're hanging out the whole day, and it's it's like right where you picked where you left yeah. off. You picked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's nice when that happens. It does. I don't think it happens nearly enough. Well, especially not now because we're in the middle of a pandemic. How are you gonna randomly like happen upon another person? You shouldn't be. Don't do that. <laughs> Maybe on chat chat roulette. Yeah, <laughs> is that is, is that a thing? Um, <laughs> I don't know. The only thing that I remembered about that was just dudes showing their stuff. So I don't I don't know. Uh, and I think that's all the internet. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that just like that just made me think of just like how gross we all are. So just to like, <laughs> yeah, you can randomly just pop up on on this image. Gross. All right. Yeah. Anyway, because um, <laughs> I don't want to think about it that anymore. So what happened after uh, Mario left? Does does that band dissolve? Yeah. You said that you were actually getting yeah. busier, right? Yeah, myself, another band member, Marco, who is on the new record, Rusty Langley and Jason Guadalupe. They were all Landis and we carried on. We got the meeting with Drive Through. We toured a little bit out to Pittsburgh. We toured down to Florida. Man, I could have so many stories there, but I'll save you. <laughs> we, we, had a, we had a great time. We learned a lot and we actually broke even, you know? We ended up crashing that van oh, geez. on an ice patch on the way. It was like on my birthday on the way to Pittsburgh for a, a second round because we got invited back and we were like, we need to do it. Like right. we we're excited. We hit an ice patch. We told our van and we were like, okay. And then before I knew it, our drummer, uh, Jason, or he goes as Boulevard now, his, his actual real name, Boulevard Jason Guadalupe. <laughs> uh, he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Hungary. I'm going to missionary school. And we were kind of just wow. like, well, well, okay, but his family is, um, you know, just part of a ministry and sure. it was very under understandable. And he, he said when we were kids, even 
I want to, I want to be a pastor. I want to have a family. I want to have kids, a wife, the whole, and we're like, yeah, yeah. So when he pulled it on us, we were just like, okay. So we tried to find some other drummers and the the vibe wasn't there. The connection wasn't there. So we, we dismembered and uh, we took a break. I ended up moving to New York city. Jason was working for this woman in our hometown and she actually offered him a job to work with uh, her in New York city as like a personal assistant for her small company. Okay. And he was like, he's like, I'm going to Hungary. And she said, well, do you know anyone? And I guess with my computer knowledge and my freedom of nothing else going on in my life <laughs> at that time, I took the opportunity and I was in New York for about three years. Marco ended up moving to my apartment for a little bit. Rusty ended up moving in my apartment for That's a little fantastic. bit. Yeah. And she would pay me a hundred bucks a week and paid my rent. And at that time, that's I, great. Yeah, I was just like, it's 2004. I'm, I think, 19 years old. Uh, New York City, this is like Philadelphia, right? When I got there, I was like, no, this is not like Philadelphia <laughs> at all. I'm, I'm way over my head. Um, so we, we started doing demos there. My brother taught me, he gave me a DJ mixer. Okay. And he taught me how to rig it so that it could be an interface that I could hook up a microphone to. And a guitar too. Oh wow! These demos had this high pitch squeal in them that when I listen back to the two today, I, it's like almost like an olfactory sensor that I can smell the apartment that we were. In. That's insane! Yeah, it just brings you right back to it. Yeah, it's brainwashing. It, it was like a brainwashing type thing. But um, some of those demos are actually like we were talking not too long ago. I think at the beginning of this year, saying, "Hey, this song's actually still of value. We should redo it." And so that might be in the future, but eventually I was living in that apartment by myself with some Craigslist roommate. I was 20. He was 36. He showed me all in New York city. He showed me the ropes real quick. He was just like, these are coffee shops. These are bars. I got into TV a little bit. I started acting. Okay. It was nothing I ever really wanted to do. I never did like plays at school. Mm-hmm. I was just, I'm going to be a musician. So that mentality actually ruined a lot of other opportunities. I wasn't, I was like kind of flaking out on my job right? because I wanted to record music. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot where I was. Yeah. You forgot that you need money to record music. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't care that I'm in New York city. I'm, I'm going to be a touring musician. And I was like, Hey, you got an opportunity for a Burger King audition. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm recording music right now. Do you ever think about that as far as just like the missed opportunity and like a different path? That, that you look at like you could have possibly taken or that you could have, if you would have thought about it more, maybe you, this would have been just another aspect of your life rather than just your whole life. I try not to regret too much. You know, someone always says, don't regret anything, but I can't do that. There's a, there was a moment I recall and I still think to this day, so I, I think I made the right move, is that acting is one of those things you can do when you're 90 years old. Mm-hmm. Some roles need a 90-year-old you can be bald, you can be fat, you can be super skinny, you can, you can be anything. You can be weird looking with a lazy eye, um, which I kind of have a sleepy eye. <laughs> I'm not making fun of people with lazy eyes. Uh, so it was one of those things where I was like, well, music for me is a time of the essence where I have all these connections and uh, friends who play music. I don't know any other actors. And me getting lucky enough to just randomly get a background role on this Will Smith movie and then all of a sudden get offered SAG was luck because there's people around me who've been in this acting thing for 15 years and they are, they're just giving me the death eyes. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, uh, this is not, I don't want to be around these people. And a lot of people were, they're kind of like fake 
Okay. I don't like using that term too much. Vapid? Lack of better words. Or like, what is it? Vapid? Like uh, a, I would have to Google that one, but I like the way it sounds. Yeah. So fake, vapid, empty. Okay. Yeah. Shells. So you could you could kind of use that. It would also, I would venture to say too, that it probably felt more aggressive and yeah. probably way more competitive than what you experienced with music. Just from what you're talking about as far as the mp3.com, being able to literally like message any person anywhere basically and have that connection, have that piece uh, of that community in there, that's got to be almost a complete 180 between music and acting, right? Most definitely, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, your song is really good. There's room for my song too, right? right. Where in acting, there's only one, this movie only asks for one Hispanic male. And now all of a sudden, all the Hispanic males are like, are you going to that casting call? And it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, he's not asking because he wants to go with me. He's right. making sure that I'm, yeah, it was like a dog eat dog scenario. And I'm not that competitive. You know, if we're playing a game of baseball, uh, sports, but when it comes to music, it's like, how can I help this band get a show? And yeah. that's what I was, I grown up on that, that whole community. So I got out, I got out of there. Yeah. I think that's what kind of resonates through everything, right? Is that you, you develop those those connections for people that want to actually genuinely help another person. And then those are the ones that end up lasting throughout however long. Right. So even, even just like what you and I are talking about, as far as, you know, going into being able to just communicate to different regions while you feel almost isolated, even if you are in a bigger city, because then being able to have those bigger connections like what you said, all the way down to the East Coast. You know, that, that's fantastic. So it's, it's incredible to see kind of base form of music and base form of acting as far as the competitiveness of it because they are still yeah. arts, right? So you yeah. would think that's because everybody has suffered for their art and everybody understands, especially actors, how much they sacrifice. Comedians talk about this as much uh, as well. And then musicians, you know, broken down van i'm in the middle of the i have no money i can't i can't get any gas all all those i'm living in the van that i'm touring in or whatever right so they all know that so you would think that there would be more of a of that sense of community all the way through but like what you said when it's only for that one role it the the, the tension is real yeah most definitely although in in bands i've played some shows where other bands are just yeah, your songs are good. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, especially with A's Rage. I don't mean to fast forward. Yeah. Uh, my, my project, A's Rage, which was not the next one, but I noticed a lot of guys knew where I came from my, with my rock and roll. Uh-huh. And also I'm playing dance electronica and I'm selling 30 t-shirts at one show. And the band next to me, who is a full piece band with Mesa Boogie amps, thousand dollar guitar and i show up with a microphone a keyboard and a computer and they're like this jerk is (laughs) he's just cash cowing and it's like no no no, i have a lot of street cred trust me this is hard to do and yeah so if they only knew because if your (laughs) if your computer crashes mid-set you're done yeah that that's happened (laughs) right uh, and then one of the shows that I distinctly remember is the the one that we did at Riken, where I was running sound for a little bit and then got kicked out midway through show to get replaced by another sound person, which I don't know if you know that, but it's... Was it Fred? Yeah. 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 
But I just remember so when when we had that big ass stage in the in the gymnasium, you have all this charisma from that one person, but you look at it, you're just like, how does he only have two things on stage and it's just him? He's making all this noise. I don't even know how to make this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's it's crazy. And I I would imagine too that you know, bands looking at you and being like, this fucking guy. Yeah. Uh, he's just walking in here being like, he actually knows how to use a computer. I can tune yeah. a guitar or play drop D, whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I can do better than him. Yeah. That doesn't take skill. Yeah. I mean, as, as time went, I saw the animosity from a lot of bands. I was like, okay, I need to remove the guitar layer from that track and play it live. And once I started doing that and incorporating and getting an actual drummer to play with me, I saw bands. Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. He's not just an iPod band. He just needed a, he needed time to collect band members. And it's like, woo, like, <laughs> oh, my street cred almost got smashed into the ground. It's it's a shame because I was having a lot of fun by myself, and right. it's one of those things I did it just to have fun. I didn't realize that it was upsetting so many people. I because in the audience they're dancing, smiling, and sweating. This is isn't this what we're <laughs> yeah exactly we're here for. Yeah, but they're like, you're just a jukebox. You don't even have to be singing. And I right. was like, uh. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's hilarious. So after New York, right? Uh, I, we wrote a bunch of demos, and then I moved back home, and I uh, started that band. Life is here, and yeah. I think that's where where we kind of met in my brother's place. Yeah, that, venue, that sounds my brother. about right. Yeah. So 2005, 2006. I'm gonna say 2006. Yeah, 2006. Because we cut the record in 07, but we played a bunch of shows prior. And I yeah. think that's where we met. That makes that makes sense. So there was a bowling alley that my friend worked at. His name's Aaron, but we all call him Cutie. But if he's ever interviewed, he can explain why his nickname's Cutie. Uh, Cutie is um, like five. He's probably six foot. I don't even know. And he, he's like 200 pounds or so, maybe two, two thirty. He's, he's not a small guy. Okay. So a uh, sh- quick story, sidetrack. He was our roadie in Landis when we toured. Okay. And we were out in the South somewhere, maybe like Georgia or uh, South Carolina, maybe North Florida. We're at a gas station. He's taking forever in the bathroom and four guys are like screaming out of a conversion van. Come on, cutie, hurry up. And it's um, like a truck stop stop gas station. Okay. And then uh, he comes running out. And uh, the truckers kind of look at us and look that we're calling this guy Cutie. And they're like, what the hell? And that's that story. But moving on, Cutie became the drummer of Life Is Here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we started jamming at his his dad, I guess at the time, owned a guitar shop, which was like a shock, I think, even to him. And we we got really lucky to get that space. We didn't really get any free gear, but we did get it at a cool discount. And uh, we practice a lot. We wrote some songs and we, we collect some band members throughout the way and we cut a record and we toured. And it was a really good time. It was like, I was over New York City. I knew suburban life is where I belonged playing music. Sure. And we got to tour again. It was exciting. And the other guys from Landis actually moved to Idaho at that time. Oh, wow. Okay. After Life is Here and some touring and some recording and learning the ropes some more, uh, that bowling alley burned down. And Cutie ended up moving to Idaho with them, where they all live today. That's crazy. And I go, I go to visit right now, and people from Idaho will tell you, uh, "There's nothing to see here. Yeah. Um, it's, pro- it's probably where I'll go to retire. It's a really <laughs> beautiful, beautiful place that's very cultured, has great pizza, 
and other types of really? great restaurants. Yeah, but you didn't hear from me. Don't go telling anybody. <laughs> okay. else. Yeah, yeah, you want to buy that for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, I that's that's what I would have thought. Like I, I wouldn't think that they had anything going on. So it's it's just interesting that three dudes from a bigger city are just like, yeah, we're gonna go live in Idaho. There's nothing in here, but don't you come here either. Where we like, yeah, it, there's nothing. I here. was a skeptic at first, but uh, when Jason Boulevard was in uh, Hungary, where he went to min- go do the ministry, he met his wife, and she was from Idaho. That's how we all got there. Well, they got, they all got there. That's fantastic. Yeah, so. They, they didn't just go to random old Boise, Idaho and say, this is the spot. <laughs> like they were like Christopher Columbus, like, and this will be America. <laughs> I don't even think about that part of the country. I feel like. Oh, you're missing out. And I think they did a good job making sure that you don't think of that right. part of the country, especially being from East coast, like myself and the rest of my friends, there's some really cool spots and some really random locations that our school didn't tell us about. Right. And if you get in the get opportunity to ever travel again in the future, try to try not to travel by plane, try to travel by car or, yeah. or RV. I, I bet you you'll write down, this is where I'm going to buy a house. And I don't mean Idaho, just it's going to be middle of America, sure. like off, off some Creek in the ra- a random town, Illinois or uh, New Mexico, New Mexico is so beautiful. There's certain spots that are just like, why? Wait, I thought this was a desert. It's why I'm in a mountain. It's green. There's rivers. It's yeah. So that's insane. Yeah. So I went to Indianapolis uh, two years ago last year. I don't. I don't know how time works. I got. I got to use that. I got to use that next time I'm late. <laughs> I don't know how time works. This is how that works. But so I, I went to Indianapolis, and to your point, the only thing that I knew about Indianapolis was the Colts, like the football team that everybody oh. hates. <laughs> I thought you meant like Colts. Oh, no, uh, Colts, not Colts. We have some of those in New Jersey, like in Pineville. (laughs) But yeah, it it was just, it it was super nice. They have like a really cool music scene there because it was all heavy instrumental music for a music festival that I was in or not in, but attended. Okay. And then they did it in this theater that, has some of the historical significance for being uh, H.H. Holmes kind of like starting point. Okay. And he's like the the biggest American murderer ever alive, which is insane. So they were doing like they they were doing this um, music fest and then doing a ghost trail, like a ghost guide through the the town too. My wife loves murder mystery like mm-hmm. podcasts, so she's probably like, "Oh my god, he doesn't know who H. H. Holden is. Like he's so uncultured." <laughs> and my good friend Mario, again, he's really into serial killers. Yeah, well, H. H. Holmes has a murder castle, which is pretty mm. cool. See, and here I am writing stupid songs. I I need to step my game up and get a murder castle. Uh yeah, I would recommend it. Like you could probably figure out some new thoughts and feelings and how to make those into sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Sample, sample some. <laughs> those sound. could be gross. <laughs> they could probably get really messy and mushy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about That's like a murder house and now trying to do field recordings in it. And I don't think that would be very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if people want all the, the blood and guts on the microphone, I guess that's fine. Oh, well, I would, I would auto-tune them, pitch shift them. I would <laughs> put some nice chorus on them, get them real wavy sounding. You know, soften it up, soft rock. Yeah, use use the 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 uh, the thump of the body hitting the floor. That's your kick, right? That's that's what that is. There you go, <laughs> there you go. That's uh, 
that's the stuff that we want to know. I'm just thinking of the credits, like, oh, uh, dead person's name. Uh, Tom from to. accounting. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I think we have an idea for our Halloween song next year. Well, you you better start uh you better start doing the the deed now that you can, right? Yeah. Before you won't be able to find other people because they'll all be inside. So hopefully. <laughs> that that went really dark for a quick yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to like figure out how to get around that and go back. But we'll we'll find out. Uh this is this is what goes on in my mind. So that's fine. Murder Castle, Indianapolis, instrumental bands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful places in America that no one's really <laughs> aware of. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, so it starts off happy and then just gets real, real dark and weird. But that is that is also goes with the the heavy instrumental music that just makes you feel all the feelings. So that works. Soundtrack to death. Hmm. Or sadness, or loneliness, or oh. murder, or murder, or maybe uh, there's some death cults, not just the Indianapolis cults, but the the actual death cults. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go back to talking about Life is Here for a second. Sure, 2007. That's how we figured out uh, our existence. Perfect. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that because from what you're saying with the, the drive-through records with Landis and all that stuff, like that seems like really successful or flirting with success yes. really early on, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you're in Life is Here, how does that experience translate to that band? Oh, uh, MySpace was born. So okay. MySpace was a thing now and we started to see how irrelevant we were and how <laughs> how much we aren't unique. That's got to hurt a little bit. It was it was a big kick to the uh realization, I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, wow, there's 55 like us in every city in every state across the country and these bands are good. <laughs> we were hearing things like Pierce the Veil, oh, like yeah. this kid can sing so amazing. Like his, everyone was into high pitched singers and I'm not that. So it's like, we, we can't copy them. Definitely. We'll sound terrible if we try to, we need to be ourselves. So just keep writing and have fun. Hey, Judy yeah. knows how to have a really great time. He's a really good musician in the sense that he takes his time writing. We had a lot of fun isolating ourselves and just playing. I would work at Payless. He would work at the bowling alley and then around 9 or 10 p.m. we'd go to his dad's guitar shop in the back warehouse area and set up our, our own instruments and just play till like 3 a.m. There wasn't really smartphones. Yeah, uh, MySpace didn't work on a cell phone. So there was no distractions. We had cell phones and text messages. You had the Nokia bricks or maybe like the, the first flip phone iterations. I think the Razor yeah, was a thing. I okay, didn't have the Razor. Okay. If you had the Razor, I wanted to be your friend because you could take picture messages. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could document. But people had um, really cool point and click cameras. Right. I found nine rolls of film that were all from 1996 to like 2004. And I found uh, 2007. I found a lot of those memories. That's amazing. I'm sure that's a flood of nostalgia right there for sure, right? My poor wife had to relive. <laughs> I was like, oh, Nicole, check this out. This is that room I was telling you about. And she's just blankly staring at me, like pointing at certain girls in the photos, like, who's that? And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> who's that? And I'm like, no, no, no. She's like, who's that? I'm like, oh, yeah, but no, no, no. <laughs> that's fantastic. It was cool to send those photos to the friends. And like, they're like, oh my God, look, wow, how did you get these? And some of them knew I was up to. You know, I sent them to CVS. CVS sent them to some random place in North Carolina. 
they come back and five of the photos are just terrible because they're they've been right. sitting in a Tupperware for the last 15 years. Yeah, you got to look at that that that's all before like digital stuff, that's all before everything. Yeah. It's surprising that it it's actually like in good enough shape to get all those those pictures out. Look how clean this room is. I, I take yeah, care of it. Yeah. It's crazy. I see that. <laughs> no. If you could do that over here, I would actually appreciate it. I, so that was my job in New York City. I helped organize Barbara's life. She was like, get this computer clean. And then she started pimping me out to other people <laughs> who had small businesses. I hate to use that word. <laughs> That's but perfect. She was like, you're really, you're really like, what's the word I'm looking for? You're obsessive. You're you're like anal okay. retentive. You're really clean and it's kind of like scary. <laughs> I'm gonna see if other small businesses in New York will take you for sixty dollars an hour and you'll go to their their office and you'll clean <laughs> up for them. I got like five gigs and I would meet other people's small businesses and they tried to like steal me from her. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, they're like, Do you know how to use Apple computers? And in the years like two thousand three, two thousand four, I'm like, Yeah. And they're like, Oh my God, how much is she paying you? <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, you, you can't afford me. She pays my rent. <laughs> like, you know. It's amazing how much technology has advanced, but also those same people that were paying you then are going to pay you now because they still have no idea what's happening with their stuff. Yeah, iCloud's probably a, a disaster <laughs> for them. Yeah, they're just asking what the cloud is and they're just looking up and be like, where is all my information? Where are my contacts? I think that's really interesting and, and really funny because if you look back, at just the the cleanliness and all that stuff is cool, but the fact that you can easily just be like, yeah, you you have to just plug this in here. That this is how the Ethernet cable works. Let me put in your password. Your computer will remember it from here on out. So don't worry about it. This is how you use command. Like just just hit that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's interesting and it's something. If if you would have kept going down that path, you could have had like a a multifaceted personal assistant job and almost like a whole empire if you you were you could have been running the city by now. Yeah, and it's not that I didn't see that, but I don't like marketing. <laughs> I don't like selling a piece of plastic that no one actually needs. Okay. But they'll want. I feel really dirty and non-organic and helpful. And this is where I said earlier, like, oh, I'm really good at marketing and, and stuff like that. And my one friend was texting me. He's like, hey, I really admire how well you took your new project literally off the ground and just you started filling the void and getting people interested. You're really good at advertising. Uh, and I was like, you know, hey, thanks. And he's like, you know, you, you could probably get people to pay you to do that. I kind of slammed my phone <laughs> down and I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, ugh. I just want people to recycle and filter their water and turn off the sink when in between dishes. You know, like I'm not that green friendly. I, I'm, I don't drive a diesel truck or anything. Yeah, it's one of those things like I don't want to do. Marketing's not yeah. healthy for, the, for anyone. I hate all the ads that come up on any social media. Like my first thing is trying to figure out how to mute it or tell the algorithm that it upsets me. <laughs> and then here I am like, oh, how do I get my video in right. front of more people's faces? <laughs> and it's just like, I'm a cog. I'm a, I'm a part of the problem. Yeah, because it's funny because technology or life or whatever, they, they it always wins. The system always wins, which is really annoying. The only system that matters, Chris, is the ecosystem. I saw that on a t-shirt that was advertised to me. I just want you to be clear. Oh, that's fantastic. I like that. I think the ecosystem just might not be a thing. If I get another 75 degree giving, I'm going to be upset. Is that what you got? Yeah, 75 degrees and I'm not happy. You're Mar you're in Maryland, right? Yeah. Uh, Is that I normal? That's, that's No. Like, no. No. There's No. Where's fall? 
fall is not here yet and uh i i went out in like a a short sleeve shirt and shorts in thanksgiving and i was like this is not this is not how my life should be leading right now here in texas where i'm currently residing it was actually cold this year last year it was 78 degrees oh no i lie it was 75 <laughs> by 3 p.m on thanksgiving <laughs> never mind it was cold yesterday that's what it was <laughs> and when i say it was cold it was like 55 degrees yeah that's what i was just about to say yeah that's not that's not real desert weather's a little different like when it's cloudy and 60 it's like you'll shiver right it's weird right but but when it's 40 and sunny, you're like, oh, get this long sleeve shirt off. <laughs> it's the it's the sun. It's just the heat from the sun and just not having uh, anything that you have to worry about as much. Yeah. Desert weather. Yeah. Uh, I, I always like dry heat. It's always a, a good time. But then it really makes me think of, OK, why do I still live in Maryland where all the humidity is there? Like I, I've I've lived the better life. I've I've existed in dry heat. Why why am I doing this to myself? And I haven't yeah. found a reason yet. So yeah, the the swamps between um, California, Maryland, and like central southern New Jersey. Yeah, humidity is just it's gross. Yeah, yeah. I forget it, and because I've been living in dry for a while, and I know when I go back, I'm going to think I have asthma or something. Right, and it's going to yeah. hit you just just right in the face. Like it's going to get you in your face. And then next thing you know, you're just your whole body will end up just like hitting a wall. You're like, well, yeah. let me get used to this for the next three or four days, however long it is, and then I'll have freedom again. It'll be fine. Yeah. I hate the summers here though. The summers in Texas are unbearable. It's like the winters on the the northeast. Like you don't go outside. I'm a sun baby. I had jaundice when I was a little kid. I'm all good now. My mom would put me out in the sun butt naked and I guess it cured it. I think it, you know, kind of set a certain tone for the rest of my life. And I, I lay down in like little sun patches when I was living in Boston. Yeah. The sun was limited there. And whenever my apartment had a little sun patch, I would just lay down in it. Like a dog or like a yeah. cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of would follow what my cat did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. You're pretty damn smart. <laughs> but now in Texas, the sun is just. There is no escape. There's no escape. I, and I find myself now like closing curtains sometimes. And, <laughs> Oh, how how the the tables have turned, right? Yeah, I'm a poser. I thought I was a sun baby. I'm just a poser. <laughs> well, that's that's like uh, my mom. Uh, a few years back, she she was raised in uh, Colorado, so she's used to to snow and cold and stuff, right? But don't you mean Colorado? Colorado? Sure. I don't know how to speak. It's fine. But I think you're right. I think that's how it's supposed to be. No, no, it's not. Yeah, why not? Just because the people who live there say Colorado and <laughs> Nevada. Not Nevada? That's how they say it. It's not? It has, no. It's the no. Ada? That's silly. Yeah. It's potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to say they're, they're wrong. So that's that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. She, she was always raised in cold weather, right? And then she was in Maryland for a long time, and we have warmed up significantly since we moved here because it's been like 20 years when uh, she first met her current husband he is from ohio and he was like yeah we're gonna go home and visit my parents for the winter and she was like all right bet no problem i got this i don't need a jacket and then she got off the plane and her contacts froze to her eyes and she only brought a light jacket because she's a silly woman yeah 
That's like uh, people from Florida traveling elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that just made me think about that. Nature will bring you down to your humble self. I feel like so. Don't don't mess around. Oh yeah. So with life is here. We got the actual thinking about the writing process. It sounds like right. Being yourself, yeah. being happy, and then also taking your time and knowing that this project is getting as much love as it needs to be. Right. Yeah, I, I still think to this day, life is here. You know, after high school style band, it was me actually writing the lyrics because Marco wrote a lot of the lyrics to Landis. Mm -hmm. We co-wrote a lot of the early stuff prior to Landis. And then Marco wrote a lot of the lyrics and music to Landis. And then it was the first time with Life is Here that I was actually writing guitar and lyrics. Sure. You know, I was being really careful because to follow up Landis, because I felt like, you know, living in your old band's shadow in some format, but still trying to play something updated and be yourself. Thought we did a really good job. The studio stuff was really rushed. We were in the studio for one week. We got signed to a student out, I think, in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And his project for his marketing business class was to sign two bands, record them, and get them a record. That is insane. You shouldn't give that to the student. It was awesome because... He had to pass that class, which meant that he had to actually be a record label that did something. Yeah, he was. He had to be invested. Wow. <laughs> he kind of picked it because I believe he had some studio equipment in his grandmother's attic. Okay, he started a record label called Attic Records LLC. He signed another band close to our town that we had no idea existed, and he recorded both of us at different times. But he kind of like, hey, that take was fine. Let's keep moving along. Oh, yeah. The other band members were like, that wasn't a good take. Let's do it again. <laughs> um, we were well practiced because we spent so much time. So yeah. hindsight, I listened to it, the, the record, I listened to it. And I'm like, hey, this kind of still stands the time. It's not overproduced, but it's still, the songs have good meaning. They're mostly happy songs with energetic music, but it's not candy. Right. It's not poppy. There's a bite to it. Uh, I'm not embarrassed by that one. <laughs> Because you guys have, from what it sounds like, you have almost the same core as far as a group of people making music around you for years. Yeah. So I'm sure even even if that take wasn't perfect, it's still because you guys have that chemistry and that familiarity, you were still able to kind of go with it and make it sound pretty solid all the way through, right? Yeah. I mean, Cutie was a part of the first band being a, a roadie, if you will. Right. He was new to drums then. He wasn't too confident in himself when we were in Landis, so he didn't want to be the backup drummer to Landis. But in a couple of years' time, he was ready to be in a band and write his own drum parts. Rusty helped us out in the beginning by being our bass player, and Rusty was the guitar player, Landis. Cutie and Rusty have a great chemistry till this day. They're really good friends, so that helped. And then some other newer guys who weren't a part of the band kind of came in and helped write the guitar parts. Doug Walsh, Mike Donato, Dustin Burroughs. These are all guys that also played in A's Rage. Right. It's oddly been changing band members, like a carousel of change of band members, but there's always been one or two band members of a previous project jumping into a new project and then getting a better actual real life job or going to school or having a family and just slowly dropping off, getting back on this train that doesn't seem to be stopping. <laughs> now that I put out this solo project, they all like, you know, message me and they're like, yeah, so happy to see you're still playing music. And I'm just like, hey, your family is really beautiful. And I think your house looks awesome. Like, That's so great. Yeah, I have this new song, but you have like two cool kids in a house. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. You know? 
Well, to be fair, you're not far off, right? Yeah, I'm not saying I can't have a house or children. It's just I'm in a different mindset. Right. At this current yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's I, I I like that. That's fantastic because it you just got to appreciate what your friends are doing, man. Like that's that. Yeah. And if if they know that or if they hear that more, like that relationship will be way better, and they'll probably feel better about themselves too. I hope so. I hope they don't think I'm blowing smoke up their butt when I say that stuff to them. You know. Right. Right. They're all really good fathers. I mean, there's been a lot of really bad fathers in the last like 20 years, and I think this generation of, <laughs> of men are noticing they're like okay i just like can't just stay with my wife i have to actually like help and like do more than just bring money to the table like yeah i could definitely see that because there's going to be a little bit more of a an awareness that oh yeah what the previous generations were doing is not a good thing yeah yeah so w- let's let's grow as a as a people right that's the idea yeah i can't wait to be a stay at home father i'm going to play all the video games <laughs> that's your goal stay at home dad my wife's going to be an accountant maybe who knows but we'll both work and it'll be great no you gotta you gotta get her to be the best accountant in the country so you can just not have to do anything she can just count that money i mean she actually has a really cool path to be a uh, forensic accountant oh yeah those are cool so she would work with like fbi if she gets that certain gig and then she would follow like people who are laundering a lot of money. It's right up her alley with the whole podcast and like crime junkies and stuff. Did she watch Ozark and be like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do? I don't think we've seen that show, but oh, I'm okay. not going to show it to her. <laughs> I'm not going to show it to her. Well, Ozark uh, has uh, Jason Bateman and... He- I like him. Arrested Development. Yes, yeah. yes. And he's he's really good, but it's about money laundering and then the the FBI grilling him a little bit later on. You actually see the forensic accountant in the wild or the investigator out in the wild, which you don't normally see because they're just in the office looking at reports, typing things. I mean, like that's wrong. Yeah. So that's kind of like life is here. I started writing A's rage stuff and I don't want to get too sad about it, but my grandmother passed away towards the end of life is here in 2007. And I only write songs when I'm happy. Okay. This is odd because a lot of the songs I write are emotionally sad. And I think it's from collective moments in the past. My grandmother was passing away and I think I went into a delusional state and I kind of locked myself in my room and I started writing A's Rage, which was ridiculous songs, mm-hmm. ha- uh, upbeat house dance songs, electronic auto-tune. If, if you know, you know, I'm, we're never going to go back and re-listen or upload any of it. <laughs> it helped me cope with a, a really interesting moment in my life that I didn't realize I was going to have to deal with, which is death, which sure. we all have to yeah. deal with. But at a young age, and especially back in 2008, it's like, do I get a therapist? Like, do we have enough money? Can I ask my mom for a therapist? Right. No, just go write, go write some songs. And then Ace Rage was born, sadly. And people started to like it. And I was confused because I was like, these are my, these are my morning joke songs. You're not supposed to like these. I'm like, <laughs> we need to play these. And Cutie wasn't on board. He thought they were terrible. And I agree with him <laughs> till this day. And he's like, I'm not going to play. Like, I, I'll still do Life is Here. But Life is Here slowly dis banded because A's Rage was getting like 60,000 plays on MySpace a week. That is insane. And it was disgusting because I had never seen anything like it. And at the time, MySpace wasn't paying anyone for plays. Right. There was no, no monetization. So I didn't, I was young. I was just like, oh, cool. Comments, likes, friend. Like, right. I made it, right? right. <laughs> like, I don't. And then I try to get shows and they're like, hey, we want to put you on this show, but there's no other band like you. So you're just going to play with these pop punk bands. Is that okay? And it's like, yeah, I'm pop punk. I know. I know. <laughs> That's when the animosity I started to see. And I was like, oh, I need to remove the backtracks and play some instruments. 
Yeah, because you're you're not authentic. You're not real. You're just hitting the space bar and and keeping it going. I'll be honest. I would love to see someone try to start an electronic band. It's it was actually more work to do that than to actually get four guys or yeah. you know people in a room and say, "Hey, just try a simple drum beat real quick while I try this bass line out." It is easier in a sense, but when it was like, "Okay, how am I going to play this live?" Yeah, because you're responsible for everything. And the way that you talk about A's Rage, it makes me think one of the bands that I like is a band called Key Theory from Richmond, where it's just one dude, Joel something, but he always has a live drummer with him when he tours. Okay. And I wonder if that's just something to fill the space and not necessarily fill the sound or to make it feel more authentic and warm rather than that disconnected technology feel. I believe it's all of the above and I don't want to ruin a magician's magic, but I learned so much about recording in a studio when creating A's Rage uh, live performances. Like I had to make whole solely separate tracks just for live performances. And there's a click that goes in your left ear, you know, like the metronome Mm -hmm. that, and then you have a mixer on stage that goes to the drummer and only the drummer can hear the left click and the audience only hears the right side, which is all of the music and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this whole mixing process that I had to YouTube at the time. And then I started working with studio guys who were only working with rock bands. And I was, hey, so I have this electronic project and we're going to put out a couple songs, but I'm also going to do it live. So I need a whole different mix for my live. And they were like, no, we need to do it this way. Having a drummer on stage was amazing because we'd have the laptop off there. He'd have the click in his ear. So the drummer's wearing headphones and he could start the track and then he would hear the eight count in and then he would start counting on four. Yeah. And if we messed up, if he dropped the stick, we had to know where we were in the song for the most part. Sometimes there's pauses where it's just a click and it's someone playing bass over there and it's, oh man. So like, there's no messing up with a click. It's right. it's the computer's like, uh, no, like a drummer would be like, all right, <laughs> let me slow down my tempo a little bit for you to catch up. Or yeah. And we had some harmony backups in there. All of a sudden we're singing, the harmony's going, and I'm not hitting that harmony. It's like, I hate this. We need to stop playing backtracks. <laughs> yeah. It is a frightening thing now that I know way more about it. Like uh, one of my friends, Mike, he plays in a band called Pretty Mean, and they have a full backing track. They have a full band and then a full backing track see them as a as a younger younger band they're seasoned musicians but a younger band so they're still trying to figure some stuff out so like one of the times that i saw them play the tracks just kept going and going like he didn't give himself a break at all which is incredibly difficult like he pressed play once and it just goes yeah but it would do it for like three or four songs in a row and then he might have a break then I'll go to like another four songs in a row. And I'm just like, that's too much. Yeah. It's okay. Let the let the audience breathe and feel this a little bit. It's okay. If if he doesn't have that going, it can just throw the whole show off the rails. Because of that yeah. one moment has now stopped. And now we're looking at it to where, oh, this is not smooth. This, this is supposed to be like, they're not even supposed to know that we have anything back here. They don't know where those saxophones are from. But they're they're definitely not there anymore, even though they were there just two seconds ago. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just there's a lot of room for technical error. But when we got it down and we started playing like seven shows in a row and there wasn't one error, we were like, oh, wow, this is what pop stars do. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm dating myself uh, in that sense. But um, the Simpson, not just because Simpson, but her sister. 
Ashley. Ashley, when she messed up on SNL, I was doing backtracks at that time. And when she messed up her backtrack on SNL live, I had so much remorse for her. I felt so bad because I knew what she was going through, but media and everyone else who was so cool, who doesn't even play a good music was just like, oh, she sucks. And I was just like, man, I need to get rid of these backtracks before I I ruin myself. Yeah. she doesn't have control over any of that not at all she's the front person like you can't you can't blame the front person for the backing track that fails because of technology like that's such a a cop-out too i i I guess i understand that oh you're the artist but there's a whole team of people that around you like you need you need to be friends with the sound guy so he actually cares about your track actually performing well the sound the sound man's been some of the my best bandmates ever yeah we've, had, we've hired people to be our sound guy because they they knew our songs well that matters i think ashley simpson also used her actual main vocal as the backing track and a backing track should be a backing track there should be a couple harmonies not a double of the vocal right. maybe a 909 kick drum or something like a, a subsonic boom right stuff that I don't want to bring a whole electronic drum set to make that one sound in that one song. So let's just, but yeah, there's, there's Millie Vanilli. If you're familiar yeah, with that, that's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. The first people you caught. So AIDS rage did really well. MySpace era, the boom. We never really put out a full record. We just did a bunch of small singles and EPs because MySpace was just singles, singles. We sold a lot of t-shirts and underwear, a lot of merch. It was fun. And then I was like, I'm tired. Sure. I don't want to do this. I think I'm a real musician and I want to write rock and roll again. (laughs) At that time, I was back home again because I went from home to New York City, back home with Life is Here, and then transitioned to A's Rage. And then I got a job doing marketing uh, with a small company in my hometown. We worked at a place called Bain's Deli and Fuel House Coffee. And I did all the shows out of there. I helped a guy by the name of Russ Swanson really great guy who uh, he helped keep the main, the main downtown alive yeah. by bringing arts and really cool up, up-to-date shops. Uh, and he owned a couple businesses, like a cell phone shop, a hardware store, a coffee shop that I, I um, helped book shows at. And he made me make all the graphics for everything and mm-hmm. keep the youth involved. <laughs> I, I think I kind of burnt myself out. I was working on the Obama campaign as also a um, like graphic designer, but I, not the official Obama campaign. I mean, like the local South Jersey right. Democrats. I don't think I had voted at that time ever in my life. I didn't understand politics. I just knew that these people needed graphic designers and I knew how to use Photoshop. So I, ha- I was working uh, for them. I was working for him. I was also for like the hardware store and the cell phone shop. I was also helping him put on events like seafood festival uh-huh. and food cart festival on the main avenue, booking the shows. Then booking A's Rage and trying to get stuff going. It's like five jobs at once. Like I look at it now and I laugh because I'm just like, no wonder, you, no wonder you fell apart. Yeah. And lastly, I got into a big fight with my mom at that time. And I was like, you know, I don't need you. I'm a cool young guy. I got all these great things. And I moved out. And by moving out, I just took my conversion van and I I slept in it at a parking lot at the li- public library <laughs> so I could reach the Wi-Fi. Right, right. So I'm like, Mark, I'm like doing all this business with the, out of my van. I'm eating at Wawa. At that time at Wawa, you could buy single slice cheese and single slice meat and free mustard packets. Wow, yeah. Although I had three paychecks coming in, I was still like, well, I'm living in a van and I can't keep food. So I need to just buy what I can eat at that moment. Right. Yeah. And I didn't want to eat McDonald's or anything like that. 
That's crazy. All right, cool. So we were talking about A's rage kind of dissolving, right? Yeah. What I was thinking, whether or not you ever wrestled with, you know, this started from a, a place of sadness and mourning. Yeah. As far as the project goes, like, was there ever a time where you're looking at it and be like, this isn't authentic. This isn't the project that I naturally made out of this morning time, but it is successful because this is connecting with people. So do I continue to do it? But I still feel like empty inside. I'm, I'm projecting a little bit, but I'm just wondering if, if any of those emotions or thoughts ever came into play for you. Every moment, every day that we go band practice, I was trying to figure out how to make this more authentic and right. how can I get rid of the songs? Cause we had a song called I was born in the ghetto. It had a lyric that to this day I cringe. And it's like, I was waiting for the bus. I went downtown. It talks about a girl's ass and mm -hmm. there's just a derogatory stuff like that. There's another song where the chorus is like, Oh my God, she's nine. It's all LOLs, you know, right here in the future, it's toxic and it just promotes someone who isn't as smart to understand that this is a joke and this is not how we talk. It was really just making fun of that whole meme culture today that have you seen the hard times thing where it says um, pop punk guy is upset. Maybe I think you posted it. It's possible. Yeah. A pop punk guy is upset that he has to homeschool his girlfriend. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pop punk guys date young girls. Yeah. Or like former hardcore yeah. guys or, or, you know, they're all in the scene and, then you see these like 30 something year old dudes with 18 year olds. I'm like, that's not cool. Or 17 or 16 sometimes. That's super not cool. And it's like, this is gross. Those songs are making fun of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes it could probably feel forced or sound forced. You're trying to make fun of it. Not, not like snarkily remarking on something naturally, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I didn't like it after a while because it was like, okay. I'm done being funny or jokey because when we would hit the stage with a, a song that was serious, people would just kind of be like, Oh, I didn't come to see an emo band. Right. I didn't come to see like a rock band. And it's like, all right, go ahead, play. I was born in the ghetto. And all of a sudden they start dancing and sweating again and, and laughing. And it's like, I'll sell this band to somebody else. Somebody else stand on stage. Cause it's not me that they're here to see. They just want to shake their butts and, and forget about stuff. Yeah. Which definitely has its place, right? Like that's, you know, to, to your point about, you know, this project comes out of a time of mourning, but is making people happy. Like what you're talking about. They're sweating, they're, they're enjoying themselves. They're dancing around. So it's cool when that happens in the bigger picture, I would assume that you would want something that you're genuinely like feeling having that same connection and though that would be the perfect song right where your feelings yeah. are getting out and they're being understood by the people that are actually enjoying the song and connecting with it too yeah yeah i think aids rage helped me forget pain and it did a great job because whenever i sang those songs i never went back to the moment my grandmother was passing i didn't even think of the studio time that i, I was at home recording it was just in the moment of watching these people dance where most songs you write or any art someone looks at a painting they painted they remember the room they were in the paint brushes the paint you know all that stuff so a's rage was a huge blur yeah from start to finish like some of the shows i remember if i look when i look back at photos i'm like oh wow i forgot that <laughs> and i think i i forgot that on purpose my mind didn't want to but yeah it's interesting how you can be like maybe the most extroverted that you've been 
with a project because you have to be the star. You have to be the person that's connecting, right? And maybe that's something that you already had where you are that social person like what you talked about before. I would assume that it's even on a higher plane where you are real you are A's rage. You are A. Like this is the sound that's coming out is just your rage or whatever, right? Yeah, there was there was some some jokes going around. I, <laughs> I got made fun of I got made fun of a lot. There was kids who were like, leave comments on the MySpace. Uh, I'm friends with some of these kids today. I wasn't back then. <laughs> I'm sure. I was really like, hey, man, that's my project. You're teasing. But they're like, I'm standing in front of my mirror with my dildo singing A's Rage. I'm like, hey, man, leave me, leave my name out of that. <laughs> you can do whatever you want to. Yeah. It, originally, A's Rage was uh, America's Rage. Okay. And I thought Amer- America's Dance Party, like North okay. America. And I was like, yeah, it's badass. And then everyone was like, oh, Adrian's Rage. I was like, no, 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 it's, 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 it's A's Rage, but it's, it's really, sh- don't tell anyone, but it's America's Rage. Because everyone back then used to say, are you going to that Rager? Are you, right, you going to Rage? Right. I don't think anyone says that today. No. America's Rage never stuck. Everyone's just like, Adrian's Rage. I was like, no, I have a band member now. And they're like, yeah, but it's still A's Rage. And I'm like, damn it, why did I do that? I should have just called it America's Rage. Well, then you would have had to like live up to being another Zach De La Roca, I feel like. Yeah. Because if you just do Americans Rage, that's a, that's a completely different band than what A's Rage is, for sure. Oh. It, does he have a group called American Americans Rage? No, but I, on the outside looking in, like that just sounds like Raging is the Machine. Like just another... Oh, I see. At least for me. Okay, maybe not. Also, in these days and times, America's Rage could definitely mean something different. Sure. If uh, a proud boy got behind that moniker, that would be a, not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's all different. Yeah, well, we we wore a lot of neon, so <laughs> yeah, I re- I remember the the stickers that and the uh, yeah. the neon uh, CD sleeves. We had a lot of fun. It was fun. It was silly and trendy, but it was it was fun hindsight. That's about it. When you look at moving on from that project, where do you find yourself next? Is it something where you wanted to move on to something again musically or do you want it to do something more with your life? Music, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I uh, put my two weeks in with Russell. He was pretty upset. He made me work a whole other month because they couldn't <laughs> find someone. <laughs> again, I'm going to toot my own horn here for sure. I don't care, right? Right. I think he hired three or four people to replace me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I wrote that on my resume. I was like, was replaced by four people. That's because you were doing a five-person job all by yourself and then running yourself ragged. Yeah, so I put in my two weeks. The campaign, Obama won, and I got like a bonus for that. I also stopped booking, and I gave someone else the job to book at Fuel House. And I called my friends up who were in Boise, Idaho, and I said, hey, can I come check it out? And they were like, come on down. I ended up moving there in November 2010. Okay. I left in like March 2000 because all the savings I had started to just slowly dwindle on a car payment, food. Yeah. It was probably the best thing I did for that because it got me away. It got me away from the East Coast. I was able to sleep on a couch for all of those months and realize how good I had it previously. Yeah. I'm too cool for your mom. I'm going to live in my van. Yeah, I was, I was a snot-nosed kid. I still think I am a snot-nosed kid, but I'm a little better these days. What was really cool about Idaho is that no one was into music that they were on the East Coast. So I, I discovered this whole indie rock I didn't know 
Yeah. And that kind of changed my whole perspective on what is rock and roll and what I could do with my guitar and what I could do with the gear I had for Ace Rage. All that electronic gear actually could be used to make rock music. Right, right. And that's where the lo-fi bedroom pop world opened up for me. And I don't even think it had a name back then. It was called like Chill Wave or something. But even Chill Wave was a little more funkier and and, uh, groovier, Mm -hmm. dancier. I was working at Urban Outfitters there part time. I think I was getting like $60 paychecks. Sounds about right. Which worked out really well for my friends letting me sleep on their couch, Marco <laughs> and Cutie. Uh, they, were, they were, you know, paying all the other bills. I, I owe them big time. If they ever need a place, they know they, know they can count on me. We demoed out some new stuff. Uh, Marco helped me write out some music. I involved Cutie a little bit, but he was actually getting married at that time. So he's kind of busy. Yeah. So it was, it was really me and Marco and then uh, Boulevard would also visit and he lived down the street and boulevard did one drum track and in my short time there i met some cool people that i still talk to today and i can't wait to go back right after boise idaho i moved to boston okay i stayed with my brother because my brother's been in boston this whole time okay right after high school my brother pretty much went to boston for college and stayed and is still there to this day Uh, my brother said yeah you can come hang out with me for the summer uh, I might be able to get you a job. I might not. Sure. I ended up working at like a bar and I took those demos that me and Marco worked on. And then my brother started helping me organize them. And then I created Sleepy Face. Right. And that was like 105 beats per minute, real slow. Did a lot of guitars, a lot of pianos and sounds. And I realized a lot of it sounded like it was underwater. Mm-hmm. I started to get a concept album and I called it the Aquaholic. I think we wrote like 20 songs between myself. My girlfriend at the time, Ashley uh, and Marco, and we just demoed out some stuff and it worked. And I was like, hey, I have a project. We <laughs> called it Sleepy Face. Unfortunately, Sleepy Face, if you Google it on Urban Dictionary, it's like a derogatory term for someone with Down syndrome. Oh, okay. Yeah. So instead of backing out of that, we pushed forward and said, we're going to take that away. We want Sleepy Face. Okay. So it wasn't like some high old pride thing uh, you know it was like right well that's stupid i'm not gonna not name this band because some jerks did that now when you google sleepy face that doesn't show up right right <laughs> and that and and that's my contribution to that <laughs> that's great and we just call it sleepy face because all the songs the rule of the band was all the songs would be slow and chill after boston i moved back home and i got 10 band members together because we did a lot of layering because we never thought it was going to be played live. <laughs> 10 turned into eight. And my friend, John Lessons, let us practice in his garage. He just got a house. It was like the place to be. We're all nearing 30 now. Yeah. So that one person that actually is an adult, we can all congregate at their house. Yeah. Thank God. They did the adult thing and bought it. Yeah. Yeah. John did a good thing by staying in our hometown of Violin. He worked at Staples as a manager for God knows how long. I think he might be retiring next year. I don't know. He's so he's doing so good. And he had a house and he let some of our other friends live there, like cheap rent. Uh-huh. It was pretty much like you had no place to go. If you just go to John's house, somebody will be there and they'll let you in. <laughs> I don't think there was locks on the front door. At least I don't remember. That's fantastic. I always think about, I worked at Navy Exchange when I was much younger. When when I was like 17, 18, I'm, I'm working here and I was already like, okay, you're a supervisor of your little department. So I was like, all right, cool. And then I look at it. So I've been, I've been with my company for 10 years. If I would have just stayed with them, I could have been retiring in like five or six years from the exchange. 
so I always look back and was like, man, I could have been an adult. Like whatever I'm doing now, I would have had a whole different life if I would have just like stayed the course, right? That's that old man talking, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's uh that's years upon uh looking around and being like, my life's not better. Let me try to fix that. And then you just reminisce about all the other stuff that you've done. We're such a, a gambling culture. Uh, we just take gambles on better opportunities and we're like, damn it. Because <laughs> the grass is that. not always greener. It might look like that, but there there's some uh, some weeds underneath there. We'll say that. Cool. So sleepy face, I like this idea. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that the sound that Boise had creeped into sleepy face, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Maybe people from Boise wouldn't. What I gathered from Boise, Idaho, the demos we wrote there kind of is what I took from that that area and what they were playing. It, I was listening to Bonnie Vare, yeah, Iver, okay. however. Uh, my friend Kayla, I worked with her at Urban Outfitters. She introduced me to a whole bunch of stuff. She's from Utah. She moved to Boise to work at Urban. She gave me a little mixtape and I was just like, I am so uncultured. Like, <laughs> how, who are these bands? We actually worked with another kid. I should say guy now, but Youth Lagoon is another artist who he pretty good stuff and he's still doing some stuff. He worked at Urban with us and he was playing some like indie rock sure. using elect- electronic drums. And I was like, well, my electronic drums are like his, but I can't sing like him. And he showed he showed me how he didn't like personally, but just listen to his music, yeah. the worlds I could venture in and the stuff that Kayla showed me and what he was doing and a couple other kids that were in Boise, what they were doing. And I was just like, okay, I should travel more. Yeah. Sleepy Face kind of derived from those experiences. And then I brought it up to Boston and my brother helped me carve it. And he, my brother's really good in the studio. He he says that I write songs really well, but I think he does really good sound production. That makes sense. If we could just get into the same room at the same time all the time, I think me and my brother could write a really good record. But uh, unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity quite yet. But his daughter, my, my niece, she's really artistic and she sings a lot and she's starting to play the guitar and ukulele. I, I think this is going to be a family thing. Family band? Yeah. 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 I just want her to make sure she gets street cred and none of her friends are like, oh, well, her <laughs> uncle and her dad. I don't I don't want that to happen. No, she has to be the star. You have to be the backing band, right? Oh, I don't want anyone to know I exist. I just want to be like, <laughs> sing it again. Do that take again. You're terrible. Get out of here. Come back. Do it again. That's fantastic. I, I was telling you a little bit about my time in Indianapolis, that whole area, like I said, is heavy, moody, instrumental music for that festival that I was in. Cause I, so I went to Post Fest, which is all post hardcore, post metal, post okay. whatever. Yeah. Right. So, and a lot of it is instrumental stuff. There are some like really haunting vocals that come with it. Holy Fawn is one that I think of. And then um, another one is Circus Trees. They're from Boston. Okay. And then there's there's another otter's name, uh, Pillbook. And then um, my buddy's Geary, who used to play and shot her around the world from Boston or New Hampshire. They're all, all the same place, right? Yeah, it's like Springfield, Worcester. Because when people say they're from Boston, odds are they're just afraid that you don't know Worcester or uh, Springfield or some other. People. Right, but they'll right. They'll say West, West Mass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's, there's some other uh, little teeny towns. Just like if I say, oh, yeah, I'm near D.C. They're like, are you? Okay, yeah, that's cool. That's the only thing that you can think of. It's always interesting to me. Different pockets of the country have different sounds that come out of it. Because for the people in Boston, my idea of Boston is actually all post-hardcore instrumental stuff, like moody stuff now. And then Indianapolis for me is also that 
style, I would have never thought Indianapolis was cool. Yeah. Ever. Because yeah. I, I thought it was just like in the middle of the country. That's heartland. All of that is just like steer, potato, right, grass, right. whatever, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about Boise and just those different sounds that come out of those different regions, it's it's really cool to hear maybe maybe the coast kind of influences them on a base level because New York and you have LA as far as the music hubs or the the culture hubs for that. But it is always really interesting to see what people do with whatever sounds that are coming out to them and change them and manipulate them to better fit and better reflect what they're doing. Yeah, what they're doing and, and their, what their neighbor would think. Yeah. Yeah, I think Bright Eyes did that for me at an early yeah. age. When I learned that Bright Eyes was from Omaha, Nebraska, I was like, wait, what? Right. He has electricity? Like, what <laughs> if, you know, the ignorance is just the way we've been taught on the coast is if you're not from the any coast, what are you, what are you really doing out there? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That, and Saddle Creek records just being able to produce some so much of that stuff because even look like a uh, cursive which i think is the the same area and just the the impact that they've had in the style and the sound that they they have developed so it's it's really really interesting to see that and to to then get those sounds and be like all right well let me put my own sensibilities on those yeah and i'll be honest the demos we wrote in idaho and then when i took them to boston my brother was like no no. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to keep that. And he's like, really? And it's just like his, his electronic background, his city mm-hmm. ideas. And I was like, I just want to have that authenticity of the, the mountains and right. the, the highland deserts. You just, you had to be there. And he's like, oh, you're so pretentious. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, okay. And then I brought him to New Jersey to my, my hometown friends. And I was like, okay, here's the new stuff. And they're like, what is this? Like, it's kind of cool, but can we speed them up? And I'm like, no. He was like, <laughs> okay. B- before it was all said and done, and it finally was truly recorded and mixed. It had so many different spices mm-hmm. in it that it, it was it was changing itself. We started to learn how to play it live because everyone that recorded on the actual album wasn't a part of the live band. Mm, okay. Like Ashley ended up singing live with us, and she actually learned. We taught her the piano. And she started to learn my piano parts. That's amazing. Sleepy Face was definitely 10 band members that ended up turning to eight, including myself. And four of those band members did not know how to play an instrument before joining the band. They were just always hanging out at John's house. So like the germs, but like sad and slow. Yeah, I'm familiar with the germs, but I didn't know that's what their story was. Pretty much where they just didn't know how to play music. And then they were just like, well, everybody is playing punk. We can figure this shit out. Yeah. It's amazing. And it, it's always crazy to me to see Pat Smear and the Foot Fighters. Yeah. Just to see this huge like progression from not knowing how to play music when you first started a band to being part of one of the, the more popular bands to ever exist is just yeah. insane. And then you're telling me that you're doing it on this like micro level of just taking, hey, you look like you need something to do. Come on over. We're going to have some fun. Yeah. Like John, like I said, uh, John Lesson's house was the place to be at that time. Uh, our friend Lauren Cleveland, she was a college student. She's now like a scientist, like middle Pennsylvania. She was our keyboard player and she did not know how to play previously. And we, we kind of just put her through the ropes. And before I knew it, actually some of the, some of the guys knew, but 
Ashley, Erica, and Cleveland, Lauren, they didn't really know how to play too like mm-hmm. much. They learned and they actually became the better band members. <laughs> and that's no discredit. That's no discredit to myself, J Ro- Rose, John Dill, or Fixler. What's important to understand, and for anyone who wants to play music, it's not how long you've been doing it or how good you naturally are. It's your, oh gosh, um, <laughs> your ambition. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's your ambition. And like that goes for anything, sports or uh, I don't know, anything. Yeah. So they always watched bands. They were always big fans of music. Erica and Ashley uh, Cleveland, they love music. They always want to go to concerts and stuff like that. So when I was like, hey, will you please be in my band? They were like, yeah, LOL. Like, sure. I'm like, no, really. So this is a C chord. And they're like, Okay. And Ashley's going to full-time to be an x-ray tech. Cleveland was going as full-time student to be a scientist. Erica was working like three jobs and is the social butterfly of Southern New Jersey and Philadelphia. Sure. And they just killed it. They just completely killed it. They were like, hey, band practice at this time. Don't be late. And then when I, sh- I show up five minutes late, they're already playing the songs. And I'm like, these are the songs I taught you last month and you're playing them better than <laughs> like, oh no, I created months and monsters. Yeah, it's amazing what drive and passion, that ability to cling on something that you like yeah. can just give you the, the capacity to learn more, to obtain more because you're driven that much more. Right. Yeah. So it's really, it's really, really cool for that. I know for me, like I love shows, right? But I've always had this thing where, oh, I can't play that because I have a radial tunnel in my hand. So my hands lock up. Yeah. I remember you were talking about this in your last couple. Yeah. So I, I always use that as a crutch. And then I was finally like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll have to figure out how to actually play because if they're going to hurt, we're, they're going to hurt. I can't just use that as an excuse my whole life. So it's it's really cool for that and to like pluck these people that are music fans and turn them into like actual musicians, actual like yeah. stage musicians, which is yeah incredible in what seems like a very short amount of time. It was. <laughs> it's also something that I think is is really cool to where if you have a safe place for arts, you still have no idea what they're going to do in the future. So if you are able to cultivate the arts and let their minds roam free on that, now we have scientists that are with <laughs> these different like abstract ideas, possibly from music or that same drive and passion be like, oh yeah, I love this. Now I doubly love science too because this makes me just as happy as that. Like that's, Those little things, if we cultivate that stuff and then they can still like, be supported to pursue whatever else they want to pursue, it would make everything better. Yeah. I think everyone should play an instrument. It should be like a, a requiem in school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it, it makes your brain think differently. It does. And I don't mean like the clarinet. The clarinet's a beautiful instrument. The flute's beautiful. I just think those are kind of intimidating. It, even if it's a kid learning how to use a drum pad, yeah. it would just change the, the way they think about everything else. And it's a nice getaway, an escape. And I'm not into escapism, but it's a nice way to branch out the way your your left brain would think. And your Right. So we got Sleepy Face, which is this mm-hmm. this eight-person monster mm-hmm. where you're, you're training new musicians yeah. and they're now playing better than you. And because they, they've never been in, uh, a musician before, they actually have organization and like yeah. discipline. Yeah. Because, yeah, drive. Yeah. Most musicians that I know 
just wake up at like three and then go play a show maybe. Yeah, there was a lot of rituals with our band. There was a lot of drive ambition and they were already kind of doing the nine to five with the school and some of them already like Jay was a manager at Old Navy. I think I was working at Apple at that time, like Apple in Atlantic City. Okay. I was kind of brainwashed by their, uh, if we don't know, let's find out together and hi, welcome. <laughs> and I started to see myself talk that way at band practice. And I was like, hey, so yeah. let's figure this out together. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I think it helped with the directing of the band. And Jay and John Dill were really good friends. And uh, Stephen Fixler, our drummer, he really was the spine. He, he's he's a, such a really good musician and he's such an introvert. So I, I worked better with him by myself. And then when band practice would happen, he was already ready to go. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So when we played shows, I should say, Steve, yeah, Stephen Fixler is one of the funniest people I know, but it's not like he's always talking. It's just, you'll be talking too much and then he'll say something and it's just very like slick <laughs> and you're like, you bastard, that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So we played some shows. We ended up getting signed to a small independent label, which was our good friend, Tom Consolo. Okay. He made a record label for us. <laughs> I think he started working with other bands, but it's something he wanted to do. He started his own band even with it called Mad Happy Records. Okay. Set and yeah. happy, Mad Happy. We flew out to LA and we worked with a producer called Steve Cravat. And Steve mixed um, No Effects, Blink-182, MXPX. He did the uh, Going Slowly the Way of the Buffalo MXPX album. So 16-year-old me was kind of just like, how did I end up in LA right now? Right. How, how am I working? And he's mixing this this lo-fi bedroom pop slow record. And Steve's like, I normally don't work on stuff like this. Right. But it was a really great experience. It was my first real time in Los Angeles. Okay. And I hated it. Because <laughs> 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 I've been to New York and I ended up hating New York. Right. And I was like, oh my God, it's a warm New York. <laughs> Hindsight, I love New York and I love LA these days. I get it now. And I don't have to be so mean to that city. And these young people with this type of drive, I should respect their ambition and I shouldn't mistake it to be fake. Right. And it's one of those things where I think I was having more internal problems and I was pushing them on to these people who are, had better opportunities than me. And in a better, right. but uh, we were having so much fun. Tom did a really great thing for us by having our album mixed out there. And then we only released it digitally. We played a bunch of shows in Philadelphia. We got to play a show in for you. Mm -hmm. You you booked us. Mm -hmm. And that was our last, our last stint was with you. Oh, really? Yeah. I think we played three more after you on that same weekend. It, it was kind of like, I'm a full-time student. This is hard. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, anymore. I, yeah. Cause it was one thing to like, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, go practice in John's garage right. one mile away from the college. Right. And then when I was like, hey, we're going to try to get some shows. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. And then when I showed them what it means to do shows, it was like, yo, being in a band is hard. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, I am not mad at you. I had so much fun doing this. And there was some animosity between me and Tom later on. The band tried to play a festival as a three-piece coming from an eight-piece. Like Fixler and my friend Sumner played with me and it, we did really well for what we had to work with but the vibe the energy was lost there was it, it was expired and i think we had a really good run we put out some music videos you can watch on youtube they're under the moniker adrian now i asked tom if that was okay he gave me uh well wishes because those videos came out so great yeah yeah and i can still play those songs live if i have band members and I think they fit what I'm doing today, just updated. Right. So it, right. it was it was to help people understand that 
I'm not just a new project off the ground floor. It was showing some people that I've been playing music for quite a while, but here's the stuff from 2013 and 15. And here's some new stuff in 2020. I, I'm sure that 16-year-old Adrian with that producer was just like over the moon. But was there any time for you where just like, oh, maybe he's not the right fit? Yeah, most definitely. It was when we arrived and I think on day two or three and me and Tom were kind of looking at each other like, hmm, I was like, you know what? I just just got to give this guy a chance. And he was doing a great job. It's just all the tracks were already recorded. Right. And this producer is used to recording you and it's usually a rock band. So it wasn't... um 100 the best fit for him personally although steve did a great job on getting it to sound the way we wanted it was one of those things where i was like we probably didn't need to do this right but i think it helped put some fuel in the tank and drive us and tom and i both learned a lot working with a, a bigger name and learning how some of the contracts work. sure yeah. hindsight i probably shouldn't have worked with steve I should have saved that for maybe this project because <laughs> it's more rock. Right. But I don't regret that at all. I think that was cool. And I, I think Steve had a good time and he tried to help us out after he, he gave us a few contacts to see if we can get some press or some. It's always nice when it's like a natural, Hey, I like what you're doing. Let me go ahead and try to help you or at least give you some of that next step. It always reminds you that everybody's trying to bring each other up for the most part. Yeah, You're not going to really get left behind if you continue just like, hopefully be genuine and continue to like pursue what you want to pursue. Yeah, definitely. Steve's doing some cool stuff. I think he started his own record label and has his own band now, but I haven't really talked to him in quite a while. Who I have talked to and have a sort of connect to is Mike Carrera from MXPX because Mario was on Mike Carrera's podcast. Oh, very cool. Like two years ago. That's not how me and Steve got connected, but it's just a small world when you really start to realize that Oh, Mario is on my career's podcast. That's weird. I listened to that podcast. Like, I'm a big fan of MXPX. We're, oh, right. Steve uh, Steve Kravak did Going Slowly yeah. Away to Buffalo, which is my career's album. And then when I was um, at tech school, uh, Air Force Tech School, Mario came to visit and he took me to a festival. Okay. It was on the beach festival. I guess because Mario's former Navy SEAL, um, Matt Skiba is friends with Mario because he adores the Navy SEALs, for lack of better words. That is insane. Yeah, and Matt messaged Mario and said, hey, dude, I like really appreciate your service. I would love to hang out and talk to you. I think it's so cool that you're in NASA, too. Like, yeah. are aliens real? <laughs> and Mario's like, wow, I just want you to know, like, I'm a big fan of your music. And, and Skeeb's like, oh, cool, but yeah, I'm a big fan of yours. So if you're ever in a town that we're playing, please hit me up. Whoa. Long story short, yeah, Mario's like, hey, so they're playing a festival with Goldfinger. All of your favorite bands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a moment where 16-year-old me is like so lucky. <laughs> what life am I leading for this to happen? Yeah, like here I am in, in the Air Force thinking music's over. Like, let's just get to work and um, maybe I'll, I'll record some stuff in the future. I'm not too concerned about it. I think I need to catch up on some life. And Mario's like, hey, let's go to a festival. Blink's playing Story of the Year. Sure, no, yeah. Story so far. The Used, Less Than Jake. All, all of that. We have back, I'm Travis Barker. I'm like, excuse me, sir, you're bumping into me. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just really, really weird because I had like a super tight shaped head. I'm like, kind of like right, swole right. from basic training. I'm still older though. And I'm just like, 
these are all my favorite bands, but I don't look the part. I want to like swoop my hair and be like, what's up guys? Check out my demo. I just have to be a fan. Yeah. It was so comforting. I was just like, I'm a fan. Like, I don't have to impress anyone. I can just be a little fanboy. And I walked right up to Mark Hoppus and I was like, hi, Mark Hoppus. He's like, hello. And I'm like, can we take a photo together? And he's like, yeah. And I take a photo. And I take a photo with the lead singer of uh, Real Big Fish. And I take a photo with just anyone who will take a photo with me. And I'm just so happy. Mario got us backstage passes. I think I spent $15 that day and it might've been on like one beer and a taxi. This is one of those moments where you're just like, how did we get here? And it's because of all those mistakes you made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's because your other friend just kept working really hard. No, <laughs> it, it was one of those things where it's like, you're never done. Right. And keep, keep going. You're never done. So you're in the air force. So what, you can't go to rock shows? Like, Oh, okay. Keep going. Yeah. Because people still want to be able to like be a person just because you're in the service doesn't mean that you are just yeah. a service person. You are, you are still a person person. Yeah. We also fast forward to 2019. I want to be clear. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was just thinking about. So yeah. you were talking about sleepy face dissolving. And then next thing I know you're in the air force. Okay. No, and, and we're, <laughs> we're talking about all this stuff. I think the same thing that you think or that you just said where it's, okay, I need to actually live some life, get some experiences. Yeah. Because that's kind of how it felt like outside looking in. Okay, this person, all I've ever known for the past like decade is they've played music. They played music, they played music, they played music. Yeah. And now there's, there's the shift in life where maybe I'm putting that off to the side for right now, or maybe I'm quitting, or, or maybe it's something like that. Because I've, I've, done a lot of that where I stopped doing shows shortly after the your show that you played for me, which was the last for you, was also the last for me. Oh, okay. So Jeez. that kind of puts it in perspective <laughs> a little bit to where that was like yeah. six or seven years ago. And now we're looking at it to where we've had much different life experiences. You've joined the Air Force and now we're coming back to almost full circle to where, okay, those shapes and sounds that I was making in Sleepy Face now are crossing into Adrian and I'm finding music again or I'm finding out that I can be more than just the person in Air Force? Yeah, so 2015, Ashley and I broke up. Sleepy Face broke up. I became an Uber driver and I was working oddly. It was in the wild, wild west days of Uber. Yeah. I was living in Atlantic City area in a town called Brigantine. And I was making something like $40 an hour. And I was just like, I don't have to see anyone except the people I drive, which I don't have to talk to. And then I go home, pay my rent, and I just live quietly. Yeah. Although it was the most frantic, like mad taxi driver through Philadelphia and Atlantic City, it was some of the most calming because the moment the person got out of my car, I put on like slow instrumental music. Yeah. I was really discovering like the depths of Spotify, which was kind of new at the time too. Or I was listening to like talk radio. I, I was dating someone new at the time and they were kind of an introvert themselves. And I was like, hey, let's write some music. And they were like, mm, not really. Mm. And I, I eventually got them to sing on one or two songs, which is actually on the new record. <laughs> and I contacted her and I was like, hey, are we cool to use this? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm excited to hear it. And I was like, you know, we're, we're okay now. But that moment in my life was desperate. Okay, I disconnected from a lot of friends. I was living far away from everyone I knew because I didn't know anyone from that Atlantic right. city. I was from a town about an hour away. So I was isolated on my little island, which Brigantine is an island off of the land. I was isolated. I'd go to the skate park 
Mm-hmm. I would come home and then I would drive really early mornings or late nights and I would just repeat. And eventually it all fell apart. My car got recalled. Oh, wow. It had one of those Takata airbags okay. that if you're just driving, it explodes and metal goes into your eyes and face. That's not safe. No, nah, it wasn't ideal. They were like, okay, so we're taking a car, but we're going to give you a rental. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll just keep Ubering. And Uber was like, hey, we don't do rentals. And I was like, uh-oh. And I couldn't do like pizza delivery and keep up with the normal right. bills. So long story short, I had to like cash it all in and move to Boston with my family. Okay. Now it's like 2016. I think I'm 33 or 34 and I'm sleeping on my mom's couch. I don't like to use the word depressed. I'm super sad. Yeah. I'm just like, I worked way too hard. I was working with a producer. I was like in New York City acting. Like I had such a high expectation for myself. And with so much social media, I just wanted to share my experience, but I, I didn't want to let anyone down and I didn't want to make anyone sad. Right. You know, because they're like, oh, Adrian, yeah, he's in a band. He does really good stuff. He's always got something cool up his sleeve to share with everybody. And it's like, hey, check out my mom's couch. This is where I slept last night. I got locked outside. I'm, I, I fell asleep on a bench out in Chelsea, which is like a little city yeah. right outside of Boston. And it's like, holy crap, I really need to like, figure something out so long story short urban rehired me okay because i did really well at urban in boise okay urban outfitters in boston rehired me and i started at like ten dollars an hour and i was working with a bunch of really young people who were really happy yeah drank a lot of coffee all boston college students and they don't know it maybe they will maybe they won't but they picked me up off the ground they really reminded me of who i was when I was young and naive and hopeful in that, that sense, you know, I didn't have too many like bad things happen. And it was one of those things where like, okay, I need to continue to play music. I know I only write when I'm uh, happy about sad modes, but I, there needs to be no rules. So when my mom would go to work and my stepfather would go to work and I had their Boston apartment to myself, I would set up my studio equipment as fast as I could and just try to pop out any ideas musically on the kitchen counter. So a lot of the takes you hear on the new record were recorded on a kitchen counter or like vocal takes that were done in a bathroom. And then I would go back post-production and try to clean them up, like really get the feeling because a lot of that energy was there. Sure, I think I wrote like 15 songs and then I started working full-time. I couldn't keep up. I got my own apartment. I met my wife when she was actually like... um, Okay, so it's like a, against the rules, but you're not supposed to date the manager you work with. <laughs> no. <laughs> we ended up getting married. I guess that's the exception, right? Yeah. yeah like, you know, Cole is super, uh, super cool, really work driven. I think I'm really attracted to work driven uh, women. And she's, you know, going to be getting the degree and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, you like have your, your shit together and like you're smart. <laughs> and I didn't think she liked me. <laughs> she's like one of those girls who's like mean all the time but it's like beautiful yeah, yeah but she's she's not actually mean she just doesn't think you're funny and you're not you're not <laughs> funny so but you know that you are but you just have to yeah. like strike at that one one moment yeah. and if you can get that one smile now yeah. she actually pays attention to you she's my filter i tell her a joke and if she sort of like smirks or rolls her eyes i'm like oh the guys are gonna think this is so funny <laughs> And the guys don't think it's funny. And I'm like, oh, wait, it isn't, right? <laughs> my friends my friends are my best filter. That's great. Yeah, so Boston was, a, a, you know, like you grow up in a certain place. 
you're born and raised in a certain place and you grow up somewhere else. Yeah. My second trip back to Boston, because I wasn't new to Boston. I, I wrote the sleepy face stuff there, but I wrote that in a way better mindset. And I was like, oh, Boston's so cool. So my second experience of Boston was not as pleasant until I started just working. I did the shipment at Urban Outfitters. I was in the, the basement and I would listen to music. I'd get there like 5 a.m. and just censor clothes mindlessly. And then the the university kids would come downstairs and be like, Hey, what's up, Adrian? I'm like, Hey, how's it going? They're like, Oh my God. So like I had this problem and it was like really <laughs> terrible. And I would just listen and be like, in my mind, I would say, kid, you don't know what problems are. <laughs> but at the same time, they actually did have problems yeah. and they did matter. Yeah. Their resolution was the same as mine. And it helped me realize that everything's going to be all right. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I, we got an apartment together. She was moving up in the company. I eventually quit Urban Outfitters so that she could. Okay. Uh, I started working at a, a barcade. Okay. And I was still writing music, but I wasn't liking any of it. And then I was like, I can't work at this bar. I'm not going to start a band here. Like anyone that's available in Boston is a student. So they don't have full time. Right. And they're younger. They're like 19 and 20. And they don't want to play with a 35 year old. Yeah. And the experiences aren't really the same at that point too. And like what you were kind of talking about where, okay, kid, you don't have actual problems. Well, their little problems are their whole world. Respectably. Yeah. Yeah. The the emotions are still there. Mm Mm-hmm it is going to be way, way more difficult for you to look at this and be like, I'm a grown ass man. I don't need this kid talking to me about anything. Right. Just being insufferable. <laughs> right. And then, and then that connection piece isn't there. So like what you're saying, as far as I don't think that I can write music, I don't think I can create here because there's no connection for me here. Yeah. Like I talked to my brother and he was like, I'm busy, but you know, send me stuff. I can help you. But so I just wrote by myself. And then eventually I had a conversation with Nicole and I was like, um, I think I'm going to like, think about joining the military. And she was just like, yeah, okay. LOL. <laughs> like, no, whatever. And I was just like, all right. So I went to the recruiter at um, the Boston commons, which is like the, the center uh-huh. central park essentially. And I met with a, a woman there and she was like, yeah, I, I think it can help you out because uh, a few months prior, you, the cutoff age was 34. Right. But then they, they changed it to 39. So as a 35-year-old, I was going to see if they would take me. And they were like, yeah, we can. And they put me through the gauntlet. They like made me do some push-ups and running. And they were like, you sure you're actually 35? <laughs> and I was just like, why am I running fast? And they're like, yeah, you're kind of running fast and doing some push-ups. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I wanted to be a meteorologist, but I ended up becoming a mechanic. And I've never touched a vehicle my entire life prior to joining. And I'll be honest. And my my coworkers will tell you the same is I'm not supposed to be a mechanic, <laughs> but I can do I can do some stuff. I can fix some vehicles to a certain extent, but it's just it's something you have to be doing when you're a kid. Like yeah. everyone else I work with, actually wanted to be a mechanic in the military when they were like ten. Right. Where I probably should have joined the Air Force Band. In reality, yeah, yeah. And that's not what I see as music. That wouldn't be fun for me. Right. That wouldn't be a love for me. They sent me to Lackland, which is where the Air Force Base mm-hmm. training is. I was there for two months. And man, being in a like, you know a bunker with 59 other 18, and the oldest guy was 24. He was the mature, he was the mature one. And then I, there was me who was 35. It was amazing. Because, <laughs> you know, those kids are just, they're hyped. Yeah. And a lot of them want to be there. And me, it was like, well... I do want to be here. I, like, not only do I want to serve my country, I just want to better myself and 
know that I can do something like this. Yeah. I'm not a big advocate for guns. If you own a gun, that's cool. I'm just, I'm not a big advocate for death and war. Right. And I know that sounds weird being in the Air Force, but there's other things that the military can do and should do more of, but that's not, I'll stay away from that political side. So I fix vehicles. Uh, I work on hydraulic systems and we load up planes with cargo that supplies water to foreign countries and food and to other soldiers who the aid need supplies. side of the military, the logistics side of the yeah. military to Yeah, logistics. Yeah, yeah. To get it to where you can actually make a bigger impact or a better good possibly. Yeah. Depending on the mission that's assigned to you. Exactly. My God, are you a recruiter? You just, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so if I don't go to work, a vehicle might not be, a plane might not be able to load up. Like my job is pretty important yeah. in the mindset that I should know what I'm doing. But what's important here is that I started working with other people who are younger than me, who are my supervisors today. They're like 27 and they've been in the air force for 10 years already. And they just look at me and then they, I tell them some of the stories I shared with you today. And they're just like, what am I doing with my life? And I have to, <laughs> I have to let them know that I admire their right. like commitment right. and their dedication to like not quitting that, that Navy. Yeah. Navy exchange. Yeah. yeah. Navy exchange yeah. job. Yeah. Like you've only done 10 years in this military, man, you're going to have a good thirties. Your thirties going to look real good. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Cause I, I always think about that and I always, cause I'm in a town where our biggest employer is the Navy. Because we have a okay. research navy base. Yeah, yeah, you do. So okay. with that, like we see all the young ones come up, but we also see the flip side of that, where they're forty-five and now they're working for a contractor and double dipping their retirement and the contractor. Yeah. And I'm just looking at them, being like, "Give me a grand, like yeah, you, can, yeah. you can break me off just a little piece, can't you? Like it's fine. You, you'll make that tomorrow. Just like give me something." <laughs> it's it's very true that some of those guys will retire really well and they'll, they'll contract and stuff, but some of them earned it and some of them know their jobs so well. And it just, it's so impressive to see some guys like, yeah, I didn't know mechanics before I came either. And I'm like, wow, like you're really good at your job yeah. and you're, you're not even 30 yet. And it's like, yeah, I don't like turning a wrench. And it's like, wow, like, what are you going to do when you get out? And they're like, I don't know. I think I might start a band. <laughs> like, you know, they're joke, joking with me after basic, I was at Port Wainimi, which is, um, it's near Malibu. Okay. My tech school was at a Navy base. Okay. We were mixed with Navy people and Air Force. What was really cool is that I'm back in California, but now I'm military. And that's when I went to that festival. Right. They would let us go out on the weekends, but not too far. We, we had like a certain amount of miles we were allowed to travel. But I got to see LA again, but now as just a tourist. Right. And it was beautiful. I, I rode a bike around. When you're coming through basic training tech school and you're told you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. And it's like, I'm 35 years old. I can do that. <laughs> like I've been doing that my whole life. What are you talking about? You start to really appreciate that Saturday morning yeah. bike ride yeah. an hour away from the, the base. And just like, I'm just looking at all the civilians. Right. I say that, right. man, you guys, I hope you guys realize what you had. <laughs> you know, I was actually uh, writing beats. Okay. My wife bought me an iPad for the Christmas so I could um, watch Netflix with her. Yep. We'd FaceTime on my phone and watch Netflix, the same movie at the same time. And I was like, oh, I have an iPad. And I started writing beats again. Yeah. My roommate in tech school, his name's Stride. He can sing. He can sing really well, like R&B. 
He's a Hawaiian kid. That's a good name, Stride. That's his last name, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that can be a good name for his R&B stuff. Like, that's, that's all right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but he could sing really well. And I always told him, and I would just make beats. I'm like, yo, Stride, check this out. And he'd be like, really? He started singing. And I was like, no, 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 do that part again. And we, and he's like, yo, I need to get in the studio with you. And I was like, like honestly, yeah, but we're stuck here. <laughs> After California and the, uh, learning how to become a mechanic apprentice and appreciating LA and the whole area and getting to hike some of the mountains in that California area. Like I got to go to Santa Barbara and I was just, just like, like, wow, like this place is beautiful. Any of that nature apply to the music video where she is going into the woods and the nature and like embracing everything? Um, yes. Adventure is gone. I think is an encapsulation of probably the last like 10 years yeah it sucks because i kind of had the idea of a video and then the pandemic hit and i was like oh this is going to be such a covid song like this is either a really good time to release this or i'm just going to be a drop in the bucket of all these people cash counting but i still went with a similar idea which is what we have with the adventures gone video so much media all up in your face (laughs) phones and tv and i'm so smart i'm so informed and it's like turn it off and just get away from it all. And I think joining the military was a moment, of, a safe bet for me. And some people would see that as a, I'm going to die. I'm going to get dragged. I'm going to get sure. uh, deployed sure. and I'm in, I'm going to get mortared and which is still a reality <laughs> for me. But what's important here is that this is probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah. And I don't even know it that well. <laughs> I think it's the, when you're good at something, it gets boring. When you're not good at something, you want to try harder. And after that, but the Adventures Gone video is definitely something of sorts of I'm in a safe space with my TV and my phone. Let me let me go. Let me be on my way. And I'm driving. Oh crap! The car broke down. And the car breaking down could be some type of artistic impression of the band broke up, your relationship separated, you lost your job. You know what? I'm going to keep going. And as you continue to go, and you start to lose things, as you'll see, she gets rid of her water bottle. She gets rid of her phone. She takes off her flannel. Something is restricting her and she moves on. She finally gets to an open spot in the woods where the sun's kind of warmer, where when she was back at her apartment, it was dark and dreary. You'll notice she starts to smile more and more. And when she's finally at that open area, which seems like the end of the world because there's just water, she's her happiest. Uh, And I don't want to spoil anything and we'll see if anyone listens to this, but there's a part two in the making and by making, we're, we're, we're crafting out part two. So that's fantastic. you will see our friend Catherine again in her journey. There is a song that's already written that's going to be perfect for it. And John, the director, I, I gave him the idea. I told Catherine, and they were like, yeah, let's, let's do that late spring, summer. So I'm excited for that. Some people are weird. They, they text me and they're, they're just like, dude, I thought she was going to get naked at the end of that video. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry that you did that to yourself. Right, right, like, right. At what moment was there sexualizing? <laughs> like, yeah, we, we took that feedback and we have a part two that will hopefully make some people laugh and, and it'll be a nice, happy ending. You know, very, very cool. I, I like that. It just made me think too, like, so I've been with my company for 10 years, right? So before that, I would be jumping from job to job, like what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then for a little bit, I didn't have a job. I was, I was homeless, not homeless. I was jobless. And then having to sleep on the couch of my mom's one bedroom apartment 
that she took over the payments for from me because I could no longer afford to pay for it. So it was very relatable. Yeah, very relatable, very relatable <laughs> right? So, and it, it's it's interesting to see that, and it's interesting to see personal journeys with that, where you know you're you found maybe not where you belong, but what you need in your life at this moment, where it could be that structure, it could be that dedication to this one position or or this one cog in the machine. Because then you can almost kind of like let go and zen out a little bit, like what you're talking about with your Uber stuff. Yeah. Where you have that one thing that you can do and you can do it well enough, right? You may not be the perfect at it, but you're still able to go with it. And I think one of the other cool things is with, with what you were saying is that you know that, okay, if I'm not good at something, maybe that'll drive me to do it more. Yeah. I will master this because it's that, that's my own like little drive. And I'm not going to let this one thing like get the best of me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm indebted gratefully since the day I was born to my mother, but my mother has told me like, stop feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> get up. Like, what do you mean? Like when I was a kid, I was, she's like, you should go get a job at McDonald's. And I'm like, oh, I'm not working at McDonald's. Right. Like, I don't know why, but I, I just couldn't see myself there. Or maybe I didn't want people to see me there. Right. I love the McDonald's sandwich. This isn't an ad, but it was just one of those things. Like I had envisioned certain things for myself. It's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I have my own structure. I can't fail. Must keep going. And there's some moments where I'm like, was the military a cop-out? Was it the safest bet where it was a place that would give me a job? And when I actually up, signed up to be in the military, it took me six months. They wanted to know the places I'd been in the last 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I almost got denied twice because yeah. there's so many things you have to do. You have to pass like mental health tests. You have to pass health and wellness, like physical right. fitness. You have to pass their background checks on like, hey, where were you in the last 10 years? What do you mean you were in Boston, then New Jersey, then Idaho, then New Jersey, then Boston? You were in a touring band. Who are you in a touring band with? Who recorded it? We need all those people's names and numbers, which... Luckily for them and me, I am a pack rat when it comes to keeping in contact with everyone that I've been in contact with. That's really good. I'm annoying. I don't let go. <laughs> and even if we had a bad relationship, you're still there. And I'll, hey, are we still not friends? Oh, we're not? Okay. Just check. It's interesting because when I first uh, started with my company, they were the almost the exact same way. Okay. Background checks, wanting to know as much as as you can about a person yeah. before you hire them. It's also an, really interesting to see that shift from all this restrictiveness because we used to be shirt and tie ten years ago. Okay, and now we're polo jeans and a t shirt, <laughs> polo like button button up denim t shirts or button up a uh, denim shirts. But it's it's just it's really interesting to see in the future where the, where these different companies align themselves and then also for your own like personal journey where you can find the best fit for you because like if you look at the military you have a job and benefit yeah a lot of people only have a job just me i know <laughs> nicole and i's uh rent our rent was $1800 in boston we haven't even plugged in an iPhone yet. Like there's no, we haven't touched the electric bill, the water bill, the Wi-Fi. And I know Boston is one of the most expensive cities in the country, 
um, working at Urban Outfitters at minimum wage. And then she's making a little more money doing a different job. It, it was one of those things where I was like, we either need to leave Boston or we need to change something. And unfortunately, I didn't finish college. I just have a resume that speaks like a CVS receipt. Yep. And depending on what job I go to get, I have to like form it. Yep. But it, but it was tough in this future because they want bachelor's degrees. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to join the military as a PA, which is a journalist or a meteorologist. Okay. I love weather and I wrote a song about it, but that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, that's a sleepy face song called Beach Days. And the chorus speaks about so I'm apologizing to my friends. I should have been a meteorologist. <laughs> yeah. And they said there is marketing jobs, but there was none available at the time. But now that I'm in, they're telling me that I can cross train into a marketing job. And as you guys, as you may know now, I'm kind of like, no, <laughs> I don't. I'll be really good at it. And I don't want to do it. And that's one of those things where it's like, do I swallow my pride and be what I'm good at, but try to yeah. be good for others at doing this? Like, yeah. So I, I'm at a, I'm at another crossroad, but I still have a year or two to decide. That's my exact feeling almost every day. I dislike most people. I hate people, but I'm in a sales job. So tell me how that works. And I'm actually like good-ish at the sales. So I've taken it where you you might end up doing the same thing, but it, I feel like it would be way more difficult in a military uh, environment than a corporate personal environment or civilian environment where my whole secondary part of my job is teaching people how to sell stuff. Oh, yes. That's where I put in like the most effort because that's where I get the most result. That's also my favorite thing is to teach. So I have found what I like to do and then inside the job that I hate to do, which is sales, Yeah, which is funny. And then I, I like I talk to all my people as far as all my reps being able to turn on and off as far as that light switch of saying, oh, yeah, I can go sell this person. I can go connect to this random person and get them to trust in me to buy a whole bunch of shit. But now I can like off the sales floor, turn that whole mode off and just zone out on something else. Listen to music, watch a YouTube video while I'm on break, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. But that takes time and that takes a lot of energy and a lot of practice. Yeah. If you're not in it, like I'm, I'm dealing with this at work. I'm at a crossroads where I don't know what I want to do with the company that I'm, I'm in, and I don't know what my future could hold. And it is that kind of like other piece of almost a, a existential crisis where I don't know where I want to be, so I don't know how to get to anything. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing on a daily basis. Yeah, you'll you'll find it. It's one of those things. Sometimes it just hits you on the back of the head and sometimes you find it. Yeah. I, I say that maybe out of experience, but at the same time, I'm still waiting to find it. What is it? With that being said, what do you think is one of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself throughout everything that you've been through? Oh, don't try too hard. And just that with that answer, it's, it's one of those scenarios that I noticed the harder I don't try, the better it turns out. And it doesn't mean that I'll even like the result either, like with A's Rage, because I didn't try yeah. with A's Rage. I just wrote and it ended up working in some manner, but I still hated it. In the early days with my friends, we were just having fun. Life is Here was a lot of fun. Uh, A's Rage was mindless and it was helping. It was a meditative state. Sleepy face. I learned a whole new thing that I didn't understand and I was 
emulating it in some manner, but yeah. trying to discover myself within it because I was trying to peel off the A's rage skin. Right. And then I, like you said, love teaching. I, I realized that I learn better when I teach others what it is, like explain to others what it is I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I kept telling my friends who were, didn't know how to play. I was like, don't worry. It's not that hard. Just don't try. It's simple. Just, it's like typing on a keyboard and, and then going home or driving home going like, why don't I practice what I preach? Like, stop trying so hard. <laughs> and same thing with my wife when I'm trying, like, all right, let me try this, like this joke. I'm about to text my friends. Let me see if my wife will laugh at it. And I tell it to her and she's just looking at me. I'm like, oh, I should try. <laughs> like, and then I'll just say something in the kitchen and she'll look at me and giggle. I'm like, what did I say? And she's like, nothing. She won't tell me. And my friends will say, you don't even know when you're being funny. You're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I am so stupid. I need to stop trying so hard and just uh, let it be. Let it, let it be. Let it be. Just, yeah. Like if someone doesn't like you. Let it go. Yeah, let it go. And if someone doesn't like you, I'm like, ah. Oh, well, that's just right now, maybe, maybe tomorrow or next week. And if someone loves you, you need to understand that they might not love you tomorrow. <laughs> and with all good feedback and bad feedback, you need to take those the same. And I know that's like scary because you kind of want to like celebrate and have a good time. But if you're going to accept good feedback, you need to accept bad feedback. And that might take a t- some time for some to learn. And it's one of those scenarios, again, like, Hey, your song's really good. Like, thank you very much. Like, no, like, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Not like, not, yeah, yeah, you're right. I am amazing. What part of the song do you like the most? It's, hey, thank you for your time. Right. Thank you for, for a while you shared it. And it's like, hey, you suck really bad. Hey, thanks for listening <laughs> and critiquing. Like, what part sucks so bad? Oh, yeah, the snares on my vocals. I, you know what? I kind of agree. Don't tell anyone. My mom said worse to me. Like, I'm not dog. My mom's the best. Like, I think I'm just like my mom and that might be my problem. (laughs) Uh, Love the lady. Love the lady. My mom's that. I'm I'm definitely shit. Like the first person I'm going to share this was my mom. Like mom, don't listen too hard. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I think what I've learned is don't try too hard. Be genuine. Cause when you try hard, it's so apparent. Yeah. And that's where that term try hard came from in poser. Right. Yeah. Like do what you love, do what you like. And if no one's watching or listening, that's okay because that's not what this is about. And the moment people are liking and you're trending, hold on tight because you might not even be the most popular one in it. Someone might emulate what you're doing and be better at it. And then you're going to be all like, what the hell? I was the first doing it. And it's like, no, that's <laughs> that's not why you did it. It's something that I definitely have dealt with over the years where I felt like I put all that I could into a music scene that doesn't necessarily need me. I can I can put on something, but now everybody is working together and it's a better scene because the bands are talking to each other yeah. instead of just like one person trying to facilitate as much as they can. Knowing that you don't necessarily matter that much is both frightening and also cool because you have hopefully done enough to make an impact to where they remember that stuff and they know the good parts to emulate yeah most definitely you uh and jenny shelley yeah i I know she got married i think that's still her her last name i feel rude if not it's lee but that's good oh it's lee okay yeah Yeah. jenny shelley lee or is it just jenny lee i think it's just lee i don't know i like jenny lee sounds like an actress famous actress name yeah and uh nicole norris like you you all three were like definitely the uh connect to my maryland experience like you, you can ask three of the bands that you invited to play there. 
Maryland was like our home away from home. That's fantastic. We would test out new songs with with you guys. And you guys were always like, we could just tell when you loved or hated it. And we're like, I know that's where Good Charlotte came out of. And it makes complete sense to like the kind of vibe you guys all had. And sure. Like uh, Maryland, like what? Maryland, Happy Land. And you guys have fake California down in the south there. Yeah. We have a yeah. California that's also next to a Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. Those were, yeah. those places stay in my mind. I, I give that like a... Like people are like, oh, Maryland's okay. I'm like, no, Maryland's awesome. <laughs> but people, it was it was like a New Jersey that was like mellowed out and chill, like not as yeah. uptight. And it had a lot of different cultures and people and uh, wouldn't be upset if I got stuck there because my wife works at DC as an FBI, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. If I, if I have to raise a child in, in that area, I'd be like, all right, we can do this. Yeah. Perfect. Well, you yeah. know where to find me. I'll be around. <laughs> what do you think keeps you driven the most to continue to pursue music i don't think i'm done uh, a lot has happened it's like in that sadly like the business mindset it's like you didn't make it right what, whatever that means to whomever and for me it's like okay you did put out a record you did get the tour you were on tv you were this but to me it doesn't feel quite complete i don't want that to be like a sickening to me where i i die unhappy or something because i'm completely satisfied right and it's one of those things where i truly enjoy playing music and and on my days off when i'm at home and my phone doesn't ring and it's like i can actually like take off my camouflage outfit and i put on my you know my shoes my vans and my levi jeans and my white <laughs> my white t-shirt and i'm like okay uh let me play the guitar and then I'll play the keyboard, but let me make a drop pat pattern real quick. Okay, let me look at some old feelings I wrote down back in 2018 or 19 when I was in uh, California or in Boston. Okay, I only like that fragment. Yeah, okay, now I know what I'm trying to say. Here's the story. And as I, I'm in a happy moment now, happily married, have a, have a good job, and I'm in a secure location, I'm not deployed. My family feels finally comfortable with me being in the military and they know that I'm, I can comfortably write music and pursue the dream. And that's just knowing that some kid in Mexico commented on my song and some kid in Turkey told me in his language that the song is good and I have to Google it, translate it back to write back and say, hey, thank you for listening. That's kind of the inspiration there. And it's just really cool to know that someone in Auckland, New Zealand listened and that someone in, in Russia or Germany is listening. And it's like, dang, man, like 16-year-old me was just trying to get the kid that, like in Philadelphia to book us at a show. <laughs> I, I'm happy that I'm not jaded by any of this, that I'm still yeah. like, oh, this is so cool. We are the lucky ones, Chris. And if you're listening to this, you're the lucky one. You're still alive. You still have electricity and internet where you can get this stream to your freaking phone yeah. and you can listen to it. And if you need food, call me, I'll, I'll mail you food. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like there was a pandemic. Tons of people are still dying. I think we're still in a pandemic, Yeah. but I was able to comfortably write music in one of the saddest moments in our history. And I feel lucky for that. And I sometimes feel sort of selfish that I should have been trying to do more. Here I am serving in the military and then here I am. I want to like go to a food bank or, but they're telling me I can't go outside. Right. I'll just be a problem. So I tried to write uplifting songs with really good messages. And I tried to keep the music upbeat, not too sad. With that, I finished some songs that were started in 2016 through 2018. And then I had to take a year off to learn my job. And then once I was able to uh, have some weekends to myself, 
I started to fix those songs, relook at those songs, rewrite those songs. And then I contacted a producer through a website called Soundbetter. And Soundbetter is you submit a song and then a producer says, I'll work with you. You, you know, they put a budget out and you accept or deny or put a different budget back. I was fortunate enough to get hooked up with the drummer from OK Go. Oh, very cool. Dan, his first name's Dan. I'm probably going to butcher his last name, but uh, it's K-O-N-O-P-K-A, which I believe is... Snappy or something? I don't know. I, 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 yeah, so let's just hold it to whoever listens says that this is how it's pronounced. The guy from OK Go, the drummer from OK Go. That's yeah, so he was taking on people's projects. I was like, whoa, I think he might be a good fit because this music's pop rock, but it has some artistic lo-fi vibes to it. And I interviewed him and essentially we, we went back and forth with messages and he said, send me some examples. And I sent him bands like Daywave. I sent him some old postal service and American football. Okay. I sent him Claro songs. I sent him Wallows, which I mentioned earlier. And I sent him one other. And he was like, I don't know any of this music. Where have I been? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that was so genuine. And like, this guy's been around the world like six times. All of their music videos have over like 14 million views. Here he is so humbly like, where have I been? I don't, I don't know any of these songs. So we touched base a lot and I would send him songs and give him little notes. And he would email me back the first version. You know, he was like, just be assertive, you know, be polite, but be blunt. And once we had that relationship where I could just kind of be like, no, yeah, no, this is amazing. Unfortunately, I don't like this. He was so understanding. The way he replied helped me understand how I should be replying to people and how I should be accepting to certain feedbacks even more. Right. And I was like, this guy's, this guy's made it. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I'm so lucky to be working with him. And he would send me songs and be like, this is your hit. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> this, I don't have a hit. This is, these are just my songs. And he's like, this one's good. This is definitely track number three. Like he, you know, he's like kind of like training. Oh, me. Very cool. Very cool. He's like, this, this one's good. I like this one. He's like, I'm loving this one. You know? So I was able to work with him on six songs. He has such good energy. He actually invited me. Cause he does drums on one song, like actual live drums. Yeah. And uh, he was like, I was like, well, it's not really like that. Like we had some troubles in the beginning. He was like, well, if you're in the LA area, how about you come to my house? And I was just like, <laughs> like what? Uh, unfortunately I'm on a travel restriction and I <laughs> <laughs> can't quite travel to your house, but maybe next year. And I, bl- I believe that invitation's open. I'm just going to assume it is. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So Dan, if I come knocking on your door, don't be mad. That's perfect. There is one. There is one more producer. His name is Brandon. Uh, he's in New York City, and he's working on some songs right now. He's in a band called Couch Prince, and I also met him on Sound Better. Couch and, Prince. Yeah, I like that name. Yeah, it's it, they're they're a really fun band. If you're listening, you check them out. What I like about Brandon is he's more of that synthwave bedroom pop. Okay. So I hybrided my producers to be one pop rock, one to be lo-fi synthwave, which is yeah. what what I am. I believe. And Brandon, in the beginning, before Dan even touched the songs, gave me a lot of notes. So Brandon's almost like the producer. Okay. I'm the songwriter. Brandon's almost like the producer. And Dan is the engineer. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All, all of it was written and recorded in Boston and Texas on kitchen counters. <laughs> That's so cool. And then Brand, Brandon said, that part's trash. Need to re-record that. Hey, how about you add a, another bridge? I think you need to shorten your chorus. 
And then I talked to my friend Marco, who's also on the record, and he gave me some producer tips and my friend Sumner too. And I kind of just went through the gauntlet with some close friends and said, hey, is this trash? Is this good? And they were like, yeah, 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 no, yeah, no, yeah. And then I went back to the studio by myself for like two months and fixed some stuff and said, you know what? They don't know what they're talking about. This is staying the same. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the boss. (laughs) Finally, when I felt comfortable, I sent them over to Dan and then I sent different songs to Brandon and the album should be done, I think, by the beginning of next year, like end January. We were supposed to have a video recorded before thanksgiving for a second song but covid kind of got in the way no one got covid yeah, a little bit but it was supposed to be filmed in new york city and there were some issues so that video is not coming out so i might have to delay the release till like summer which is kind of sad okay. but we'll see 2021 early 2021 advanced jimmy and driving ep or album depending on how many songs i decide to put on it will be coming out under the name adrian x-d-r-i-a-n yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Dan did a great job. Brandon did a great job. And my friends who are on the album did even a better job. So That's amazing. I love it. 